the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM. If you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926, 260-5926. And Jim, people are probably wondering, why in the heck is Kenny over there in front of the camera once again? Um, well, you know, sometimes women are occasionally late. <laughs> How can I say this gently? You just did, thank you. <laughs> uh, our great friend and, and co-host of the show, Miss Veda Vance, she'll be here shortly, so she'll be taking over these responsibilities as soon as she gets here, but... Jim, driving in this morning, it wasn't too bad. No, it wasn't bad at all. Saw a little black ice here and there. Well, that's why I went so slow. I mean, I was creeping along just because I didn't know what's in front of me, and I couldn't really see a whole lot. But a little ice in some of the turn lanes that was crunchy, but um, no, you know. And I figured, you know, we had had a little text yesterday afternoon. I I thought everything points like this is just going to melt off and dry up because of the winds and because of the, yeah. the it's been so warm and it, it pretty much did uh got a, i look i got a little about five inches at my house you know that was the one to three that the weather service predicted uh yeah. but other than that you yeah. know, it sure was pretty it was a beautiful snow and i was talking to a lady from new york the other day she was in town because her daughter just moved here and this is when the weather was absolutely beautiful. And she was like, God, y'all got to have it made down here. This weather is unbelievable. In fact, I think I want to move down here. And it was one of those things where we always say, you know, if you don't like the weather, give it a day, right? Or give it a minute. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, here we are in March. We've had the, some of the prettiest weather of the year. And then, of course, we get this. Yeah, Carol and I started out. We had some errands we needed to run yesterday. Uh, you know, I was down here at the radio station, and it was really nice. Uh, and then uh, he, suddenly the wind shifted, and then, you know, within just an hour or so, it dropped 20 degrees or so, you know? <laughs> yeah, it did. It was tough. I oh, mean, look who's here. Miss Veda Vance hey. is here. She made it okay. <laughs> yeah. made it, made it. Here you go, here. I'm going to go ahead. I was just lying. I wanted to sleep more. Yeah, that's what I figured. Well, it was one of those where my alarm went off this morning, and I usually hit the snooze button, right? Which, of course, I did. And then I'm laying there halfway asleep again and Gina kicks me and she says you know it might take you a little longer to get there this morning so I've you know in my stupor I'd forgotten that it had snowed last night so of course I jumped up and you know got dressed and came on in but I think I, I got, got here about three thirty and did some reading and and then uh, I know and I texted you and said I think I'm going to be 30 minutes late because I'm not in a garage <laughs> and I wasn't realizing how deep i know that's (laughs) what i said i was like okay i remember jim has no garage either and you're going to be out there shoveling snow or and so i was like yeah and if he can do it i can do it yeah but it like we were the driveway was clear it's just my car had four feet of snow on it exactly but i was telling kenneth i left the snow on it though for traction I know, good idea. <laughs> I clear a little bit in the window so I can see left, right, and in front of me, and I'm gone. Now, wow. what, what about the, the cold weather, though, guys? What I mean, after it? this warm, beautiful weather we had, I mean, what, as far as gardening goes, is there concerns well, out there? you know, we are lucky that it didn't get as cold as they anticipated. It got pretty know. cold. I was hearing as low as 18, and yeah. the lowest I've seen this morning is about 26. 
Um, yeah, my truck said my truck told me yeah. 24. Okay, well, <laughs> then that's not as good as I'd hope. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> I, I suspect we're going to lose most of the hydrangea flowers. See, and people don't want to hear that. I know. You know. Now, I do have some that still have tight buds down inside the plant, hmm. but most of the ones at the top. Were Which the, where mine are, and they're yeah. sitting there in, in all their glory they're the other day. Out. I yeah. did have people asking me if uh, that was the only thing they were worried about. I was impressed was the um, the hydrangeas, and yeah. some people are covering them. But would that? No, it doesn't help. But yeah, I was going to say, wait, that's it, not going to help. Yeah. But if it got ice on it, that's still not going to help. Yeah, the ice actually does help because it oh, limits good. how much. F- it limits the way it thaws. Okay. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, when you have a frozen bud that doesn't have any ice on it and the sun hits it, you get one side heats up, just mm-hmm. like in Sun Sculpt, where you have the bark heat up on one side. Yeah. And so it actually tears that tissue inside there. If it's covered in ice, it thaws much slower. Mm. Now, uh, whether we got enough on it or not, you know, it's yeah, good. we're just going to have to wait and see. Well, but does, I don't, it, does it insulate the plant as well? You know, it, it insulates never... the ground. Okay, okay. And okay. It, it stops water loss. So, you know, if it's covered like on gardenias, mm-hmm. if you get them ice covered, you don't get the wind burn on them. Right. All right. Ah. So, um, but, but covering doesn't mm-hmm. really help. It stops frost, but yeah. doesn't stop freezes because it's just as cold under that pl- cover as it mm-hmm. is on top. Yeah. So when I was wondering, last time we had put plastic over everything, and then it snowed on top of that. Right. So it created like a greenhouse. Yeah, up to, underneath that, you yeah. got all the heat from the earth. Yeah, you know? it was and plastic. And as you can see yeah. the roads and stuff, there's a lot of heat already in yeah, the ground. Yeah, there is. And, you know, and I don't mind using plastic, but you never really want plastic touching the tissue of the plant. Not on flowers, you know? right. Or yeah. when the sun, if the sun was coming out real intense this yeah, morning. Yeah, you'd want to get you it off get quick that, yeah. if you did. Well, the wind will help. I mean, the plastic would help against wind burn. Yeah. Okay. But if it's just, like we said, it's just as cold under the plastic as it is on top. Mm-hmm. So it, it would doesn't help you with frost because frost will actually go right through that. Well, and that's what I was yeah. asking, you know, as far as the frost cloth, you know, the lightweight fabric <clears throat> that people use mm-hmm. to put over uh, shrubs and different plants. That would, in a sense, help though. That helps um, because you're not going to frost, right? Exactly. You know. Mm, okay. Well, and every this little frost, bit. Yeah. yeah, every little bit. Was there? Any, is yeah. anything that people can do today? Then, if they didn't do anything yesterday. Well, if you could get your water on, go out there and wash it off. Yeah. You know, we used to I used to do that at the nursery. You get a frost on things that you know we had already stocked up on mm-hmm. i'd get out there real early in the morning as just as the sun rises and just wash everything down because the water coming out of there is about 55 degrees or much so. warmer than the right and it would just wash everything down and help protect it uh i'm not sure you can turn your water on this morning yeah though. i'm just thinking about that yeah and we won't know damage until when i mean till well, things weeks, first to flush it, out yeah. or when it thaws we should see that tissue turn yeah. black pretty quick um so we, hmm. let's just wait and see i did put my citrus trees in the building that's good <laughs> the, the one thing i was more concerned about was sun scald and that's mm-hmm. where we in the southwest they call it southwest scald because typically it's so cold that it's late in the afternoon before the sun really makes that bark expand on a tree you were talking about on a, tr- on a tree yeah or, Any, or large anything shrubs. that has papery bark um, things like 
dogwoods up until they're five or six years old. Right. Any fruit trees when they're young. Um, uh, Japanese maples particularly because they quite often don't get corky bark on them. But what happens, you know, you get a day like like this, we've got sap rising already. And that's the thing. That's the issue. And then it freezes, okay? And that's not an issue. It can survive that. But when sun hits it first thing in the morning, it expands on one side. And it can be as much as 70, in fact, 77 degrees is what the they've actually measured, 77 degrees difference between the front and back of a plant. Hold on. Yeah. Just a minute. Just from the heat hitting that trunk. Now, of course, that would vary some on whether it's a dark-colored trunk and, yeah. and that sort of thing. But there is but a definitely huge, it's warmer on that sunny side. Huge temperature difference. So as it expands where you have that area that's frozen and not frozen, it will get a hairline crack there. And you won't know it. Probably won't see it. Yeah. Uh, it'll leaf out just fine, mm-hmm. be good. And then in June or so, you'll have a limb kind of wilt and die mm-hmm. off. And then over the next three to five years, it'll just go backwards on you. Ain't that crazy? Yeah, it yeah. is crazy. Well, like right now it's 24 degrees, feels like 11. Uh, but the sun's fixing to come out. Like it's, well, listen, I'm reading the weather. Like it's for real going to happen just like this. Uh-huh. But this, it's supposed to be sunny starting around seven and that's and that's the reason on thursday mm-hmm. i think i put out the sun's called advisory because i knew we were going to have mm-hmm. very cold temperatures and sunny mornings immediately yeah. tonight or last night and again tonight right so that's true. um but then like at 2 p.m it's 33 feels like 25 but if it's sunshine and it, it, it'll feel like 43 <laughs> yeah. well do we do we think with the the sap that was coming up on everything because of the beautiful weather we've had mm-hmm. are we going to see potentially some of that happen i think we're going to see an japanese maples a lot and dogwoods and yeah. those kind of things and as i told people wrap them with anything you got you know christmas ribbon anything you got to wrap up on that trunk mm-hmm. to keep the sunlight off of it now would it be just a smaller younger specimen Wait, shouldn't i put wrapping paper on there before i before it, i put the that'd bow be fine. <laughs> anything on it you know tree wrap if you've got it yeah. but even a sheet wrapped around the trunk or something to keep the sun mm, off so of it. anything yeah. basically yeah um, right but yeah japanese maples even the, some of the grafted ones I, I had one in my yard that I got from the nursery that was damaged in the freeze we were talking about earlier back in 86 or something like that. And then even a couple years ago we had that. Yeah, and it it had died back and died back, and finally it was in the nursery and died back to one one limb, Mm -hmm. and it looked like it was going to survive. So I, I paid practically nothing for it and took it home. And it lived a couple of years, but then it started going backwards again, you know, but... Where the graft was, it had, you know, and it was four or five inches across. It had a little corky bark there, but above the graft, it was all smooth, papery bark. Wow. So, yeah. you know, that's just the way Japanese maples are. Dogwoods, till about year seven, they're like that. Um, mm. Fig trees, you know, I'm mm. real concerned about our figs again this year. 
Uh, you know, I'm just full of good news this morning. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking about <sighs> the fig trees going, hmm, where did I put those? Yeah. Are they covered? Are they yeah. in the greenhouse? Oh, they or are they here sitting they, right outside? Here they go. They're coming back from the ground again. The yeah. ones that were planted. Out. It's, it's called nature's way of pruning. Yeah. That's true. That's why you don't have to prune in the forest. All right. Well, when we get back, guys, we got some really actually hopefully some good news for people. You know, Mm -hmm. and I wrote down a few notes last night. Uh, We'll talk about the old squirrels getting to the Japanese maples also. Don't know what it is about that. And I was talking to a guy, and this is a funny story, and we'll get into it, about uh, Iliagnus. You know, a lot of people call him Iliagnus. Yes, yep. For for whatever reason, but... I wrote down Nandina versus Eliagnus. Well, you know, which one a, has the worst rap, you know? So we'll talk about yeah, a lot of these. That'll be close. Things. Yeah, once <laughs> yeah, you see, well. there, there's when I'm right there. All right, guys, we're up and running this morning. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926. 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and see Miss Veda there. Oh, it's going to be in you. living color. You're staying. And then, of course, kwamradio.com. We'll be right after these messages. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad I made it this morning. Yeah. And it was so easy. It was not the that drive bad. drive is easy, y'all. So if you're planning on going anywhere, don't fret. You'll be able to make it. Just take your time. Uh, let me tell you about this story with the Ely Agnes, okay? Had a gentleman come into the garden center yesterday, and he wanted to feed his Ely Agnes. And I'm like, great. In my mind, I'm and thinking, why? yeah, <laughs> this is great. Somebody's actually got Ely Agnes, and they want to take care of it instead of trying to dig it up and throw it away. And he had a driveway, of course, like most of us do, going to his house. But right, he's in the, uh, he's down in Mississippi, kind of in a rural area. And right beside the driveway, on the other side of the driveway, there's a big drainage ditch, okay? Well, he's got the Iliagnus lining the driveway to more or less hide the ditch. Oh, that's a good right? plan. Huh? Yeah. So I'll, you know, uh, showing him, you know, the product to, you know, to go down one side of this thing and just and feed this Iliagnus. But he, then he asked me, he said, you know, why does my wife not like this plant? And I'm like, I don't know, man. It gets a bad rap. You know, and then it made me think, you know, about Nandinas. Mm-hmm. You know, if I ever mentioned the word Nandina to a customer, I mean, automatically I get slapped. Yes, you I know? know. Same. I mean, yeah. just, and people are thinking of the old-fashioned mm-hmm. Nandina domestica that gets eight foot tall, five foot wide, spreads everywhere. But no, there are some really beautiful Nandinas out there. And I tell you what, and for the purpose of what this guy was doing— Iliagnus was the perfect shrub, Mm. you know, to make that hedge. And, you know, he keeps it trimmed and everything, but it's a thick, tough, durable shrub. Mm -hmm. You know, but people see that silvery foliage for the first time and think something's wrong with it. Right. And it smells wonderful in the oh, fall. Oh, yeah. When it's, it's in worse. bloom, it's yeah. just magnificent. Well, well, see, I didn't know that there was some difference in in the Eliagnus. I thought oh, there there's was just some that one are variety. even well, that you can't even sell anymore. Yeah. Right. Or they 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 climb basically. <laughs> I saw one five feet up a tree. Yeah. Well, the whole bush didn't climb, but you They'll know, send out those long runners. Of, yeah, and I I had no idea, but that's one that we don't sell anymore. Or is yeah, that the, several of them now have been banned because they seed so readily. Kind of like a privet. We used to sell one, a deciduous one, Iliagnus umbellata, back in the 70s that was one of the best ones for birds. It had translucent red berries, mm-hmm. masses of berries on them. But that was <laughs> but the there's a problem. Yeah. yeah. 
And then uh, now we can sell uh, Eliagnus, uh, Eliagnus fruitlandii is the one that's been banned. Yeah. And it looks very much like the other one. The ebony sell. or whatever it is. Yeah, ebonja. Ebonja. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, it, uh, it also seeds really, really badly. So. Well, see, the first time I saw Eliagnus was on a, a Army military post, and so, and that was in Texas. And she's like, look at this anemic-looking thing. It was huge, yeah. huge, but they were everywhere, and that's all that was planted. You'd see them way over here, way over there. And so that made me not like them because it was the only thing. So I'm thinking, well, I've just seen these so much, I don't even like them anymore. And then moved to Memf- back to Memphis, and um, they were here, yeah, around and here. And I thought, well, they... They there, blend there's a, better. There's a hedge of them on, on the corner of stage and Brother Boulevard. Must be mm-hmm. 300 feet long. Yeah, and and it's sheared. Yeah. yeah. Um. And but to me, the best way to use it, Agnes, is not to shear it. Just let it grow. There, it has yeah. a nice weeping effect, and you never have to fool with it. But if you're going to shear it, that it takes a lot because I yeah. mean it. It'll in just a day or two shoot out mm-hmm. three foot stalks. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> right, it's just. But like, and they have big trunks too, actually, yeah. for a shrub. But um, but, but it did, it's got. It would be nice as a head. But it, a, but it made me barrier. think though of you know that this you know that the, a plant that we shine usually, mm-hmm. uh, especially those two Nandinas and Eliagnus. But in this case, though, I mean, the guy was using it the right way, mm-hmm. and it was doing exactly what he wanted it to do for him. Mm-hmm. So the whole point of this is, you know, we don't, you know, just because we use the word Eliagnus or we use the word Nandina, you know, it doesn't mean that there are not places for these shrubs. Yeah. Because they, they, they both true. get a pretty bad rap, and was not my point. a zero mm-hmm. lot line. Yeah. Maybe no, not. No, no, not there. One of the downsides is, though, that if you have voles, they love them. I have seen them chew the roots off of Eliagnus. People, I've gone out to look at hedges of them, and they just kind of look wilted, mm-hmm. and you don't have to push on them very hard. They just fall right over. They fall right over. Yeah, go yeah. figure. So you know, if you if you've got a vole issue, uh, Eliagnus would not be the one I would pick for a hedge. It's amazing what voles can do. The first time I <laughs> really saw so the what they can do was in the shaded area. We had cast iron plants planted, mm-hmm. where we planted them actually, and came back a couple of weeks, and all I could see was half of the cast iron plants sticking out of the ground. <laughs> so I thought from a distance, oh my gosh, my crew, what did they do? Won the crew. How did, how did they plant this like that? I didn't notice this. So it got closer to it, and I just pulled it right out of the ground, and there were no roots. And that's mm-hmm. a vole, a V-O-L-E. Yeah. And it looks like just a little mouse, you know, like a little it's harvest so little creature. Looking. Oh, yeah. Stubby-tailed yeah. little mouse. But they are more closely related, related to manatees, I think, than they are mice. <laughs> Wait, isn't a manatee in the water? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that is true. That could be true. Think about all the plants that are starting to they're starting to find out, oh, it's not that. Uh-huh. It's related to this and you're thinking, how can those two be related? Well, you know, Jim was talking about <clears throat> the the frost while ago or the, the cold temperatures could affect some of the trunks of the trees. Mm-hmm. And Japanese maples being one of them. Twice this week, I've had people come into the garden center with pictures to back it up. Uh, what is wrong with my Japanese maple? Of course, they haven't leafed out yet. But you could almost just see the little teeth marks, mm. the gnaw marks. Really? from. Yes, they're stripping the bark off of the limbs and the trunk. 
of these weeping Japanese maples. And of course, the squirrels that are doing it. And I've seen it so many times before. But I'm just thinking, I wonder what is the, you know, what is it with the squirrels and the Japanese maples? Survival, I guess. Sugar water. Yeah. Sugar yeah, water. Yeah, so it's survival. Maples. Maple <laughs> syrup. Yeah. The sap is sweet. You think they're just just loving it. Yes. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. these people are like, you know, I didn't used to mind the squirrels, and no one really minds them until they're stripping your Japanese right. maples or tearing a hole in the roof of your house, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I was thinking if their animals are doing that, then they're trying to get nutrition. They're trying to get food. Mm-hmm. Maybe You know, they instinctively know maybe it was going to snow like this, so they need to get something stored or, up. Or maybe they just don't just tearing up your Japanese maples well, the way I look too. at it. There's that, too. So maybe just, just what you'd say. So this lady was like, okay. And I know we only got about a minute, but she's like, okay, what do I do? And I said, wait, I think you've only got three or four choices. You can, A, if you live in the county, shoot the squirrel. Mm -hmm. Two is you can try to trap the squirrel with a trap. I have a heart trap if you want to have a heart, right? And teach him how to swim. Yes, no doubt. And I hadn't found one yet that knows how to swim in that trap. You can uh, get some repellents, you know, whether it's the, you know, the fox you're in or whatever, uh, and I said, or you can try the old scare tactic, put a snake or an owl or, you know, hang some pie pans or what, or do all of those. Mm-hmm. But it was, it, it was really doing some damage to these Japanese maples. Well, you can eat them too. <laughs> I did by accident. Mm-hmm. My cousins live in Louisiana and so they do gumbo and all of that. And one of my cousin's husband, uh, is Cajun. Yeah. So they were making gumbo and I said, I don't want the one with the squirrel in it. <laughs> So, you know, me and my cousin love to play jokes on each other, and they go, oh, that's this one. Mm-hmm. Of course it's No, the one. that's the one that had the squirrel in it. Of course it is. So, yeah. I would, so, mm. so I wouldn't eat squirrel if mm. I were y'all. But that's what you can do with them. A lot of people <laughs> do, especially if they're gnawing on your Japanese maples. Yeah, then you're really... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, y'all, we're going to run off to a break, and we'd love to hear your gardening questions or post it on the Facebook Live, and we'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back. You know, the thing that was strange to me was driving when there was snow and sunlight at uh, <laughs> 5.45 in the morning. That's crazy. That's weird because normally all our snow's done before we start having daylight early. I'm feeling like I'm in a, in a whole different town. You know, it was a beautiful drive-in. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, was it? You got to go slow. I went slow. But, I mean, in the yards and the houses and the shrubs, I mean, it, it was really beautiful. But... There again, here we are in March after this beautiful weather that we've had. I mean, shorts and T-shirts, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, here, you know, with this cold weather. And I had a lot of people call me yesterday concerned about their hydrangeas. And that's what Jim was talking about earlier. That, you know, this happens, it seems like, almost every year. Uh, right. Something happens right. to our hydrangeas, our, you know, the old-fashioned, you know, pinks and blues. And then you wonder... You know, we're not going to stop planting our hydrangeas no. around here, you no. know, but it's just one of those things where they're susceptible to this these late hey, we cold snaps. Hey, we have that endless summer, mm-hmm. you know, so if we miss the first bloom. Well, in we, theory. Yeah, yes. yeah, in theory, I know. Have you really seen them do what they say they do? None of mine have ever performed like they, like mm-hmm. they say. Now, the new one that's out, 
Uh, and I have forgotten the name of it right now. They say is the best of the rebloomers. It's a dwarf, only gets like two feet tall. Is it in the Endless Summer it is collection? In endless yep. Summer, and I saw some reviews of it, and it actually does rebloom fairly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have left them and yeah. not pruned them and got one or two flowers. Mm-hmm. Last year, I pruned everything off. I got four flowers at the end of the yeah. season. So, you know, to me, they're just not dependable. Penny Mac has done better for me as a rebloomer than... Um, Even the Endless Summer. Some of the Endless, endless Summer, summer has, yeah. yeah. So I was wondering if um, I was doing something wrong Mm-mm. because the second blooming or how they're supposed to rebloom a number of times was not happening. Right. So what we're yeah. saying is the old-fashioned, old, old-fashioned pink and blue hydrangeas typically bloomed this year off of last year's growth. And that's the problem. So you got that bud formation setting there. You get this cold, late, late cold snap. It freezes the bud, and you have no bloom. Where a lot of these newer varieties supposedly bloom off old wood, like the old-fashioned mm-hmm. ones, and the new wood. But like you're saying, Veda, you're not seeing a whole lot of that re-blooming on the, yeah. on the same year tissue. Yeah. This year, I'm going to cut one of mine back at least 50% instead of just knocking the flower buds out uh, like I've been doing before. And force see, new growth. And see if that really mm-hmm. will help kick out some additional flowers. Oh, uh, so so otherwise, if that does work, then that means we have another strategy for pruning, pruning hydrangeas. Right. But it's still worth planting them here. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, we get most years we don't have an issue. Uh, and where we see issues primarily is where people plant them in the wrong place. Hmm. You know, don't put them on the east side of the house. Which, which, gonna, which is where mine is. Yeah, you're going to lose <clears throat> them almost every year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Um, but then again, you don't want to put them out there in the hot afternoon sun. No, but th- that's a better choice. You know, I can show you one that's uh, on uh, Yale Road in, in Bartlett that faces due west. Yeah, but and, but you don't recommend that. It's hard out, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they they really prefer shade, and you know all these years we've been telling people to put them on the north side of the house. It has nothing to do with the shade; it has to do with the soil temperature. Mm-hmm. The cooler that ground is, the later the bud swell, and the better shots you've got at the right. producing flowers. Isn't that amazing? Just a, just where you put the sh- the shrub right. mm-hmm. can make yeah. a big difference on whether you're going to see a bloom or not well, that year. I saw the absolute <clears throat> most beautiful blooming hydrangea, and it was on the southeast side am i mm-hmm. saying that right where were you yeah i know i'm trying Here? to remember. yeah uh-uh. yeah i'm making sure because i was looking at my uh what's it, the compass on the truck because i still am confused north south you know which way but it was east facing east but it was close to the house and not not too close but it was kind of protected yeah, you know yeah. just more shrubs around helps yeah. yeah even the shade of a deciduous tree will prevent frost up underneath it yeah. so you know if you've got like i do two big oak trees in the front my hydrangeas that are on the east side bloom just mm-hmm. fine yeah okay yeah. unless we get a winter that where it just oh, this knocks was, them all down i might have said hydrangea it was a camellia oh different yeah yeah, yeah say so, oh wait did i say hydrangea it was did. a camellia mm-hmm. yeah camellia and, and that's the other, and what about the camellias? You know, I mean, well, after last month, my co- the ones that were showing color got zapped. Yeah. They did, okay, know, yeah. But yeah, a lot of the buds are still tight, and they're not going to be bothered at all. So, for the ones that are going to bloom next year, 
or this fall? No, no. I mean, well, they got to bloom later on. Bloom later oh, okay. on, yeah. So like, the buds are I've still had there. only one or two flowers open on my Bob Hope. The rest mm-hmm. of them aren't, aren't showing color. They're not so going to be phased. Right. Yeah, yeah so. it is incredible how your little micro environments change yeah. the whole situation mm-hmm. of how the plants are going to work. And a lot of people will say, and I hear this, how come my neighbor's hydrangeas bloomed and mine didn't? Or same with the camellias and mine didn't. And it's a, a lot of times the micro environment of, of their situation, even though they're both maybe facing east, there's still other things that make a difference on how a plant reacts. Like you were saying, trees over protects the yeah. frost well maybe this other p- person had no trees over there right. to protect oh exactly you know and, and like case to point my hydrangea that i do have on the east side of the house i mean it gets full morning sun mm-hmm. which is you know it does perfectly fine that grows great there it's out of the hot afternoon sun it's on the you know the east side but it is subject to frost mm-hmm. and thawing just like jim was saying a while ago and I probably won't see a bloom on that particular hydrangea this year. because. Right. But you see other hydrangeas on the east side of the house that are under the canopy of maybe some of these trees, even deciduous trees, and they'll bloom just fine. And it can be at the, the same yard. Yeah, yeah, the ground is colder, so it delays the bud swell, and that's that's the whole thing. You know, this Memphis is a tough place to grow hydrangeas. If you go further south, they grow them out in full sun, mm-hmm. they bloom their hearts out. You go further north, they grow them out in full sun, and they bloom because they either never yeah. get a frost on them when the buds are swelling or they stay cold enough, the mm-hmm. ground's cold enough that the buds don't swell until past the danger of frost. Yeah. So hence again, just like the Mid-South, yep. the That's temperature up and down. We are too far down. north for most plants and too far south for everything else. <laughs> Isn't that just amazing? Yeah. Right here in the center of so too there's, hot, there's too your cold. reason to plant natives because they, you know, they mm-hmm. don't wow you, but they don't get zapped. Yeah, but, you know, they, yeah, there's an but, argument against the yeah. just the blah blah of natives. Right. You know, well, see, that's the whole thing. I mean, I'm telling people plant natives, plant, but. I'm meaning add that to your landscape. I have to have a hydrangea. I'm going to have to have a camellia. No, absolutely. And they're not yeah. native. I mean, if you're gardeners, you know, that's what you're doing is picking prime plants that are going to bloom certain times. And also, if you're gardeners, you like to pick the plants that struggle mm-hmm. and have a hard time because we want to try to make them work. Of course we do. I mean, look at lilacs. You know, the further mm-hmm. north you go, you know, you see these beautiful blooming lilacs. Oh, and this smells so good. You know, the oh. further south you go, people from the north come down here and they go, God, what are these things? These great myrtles, you know? I know. I've never smelled a lilac. Oh, they're great. Yeah. I had to go to, uh, we had a branch in Minneapolis, and I had to go up there several times because they had some issues. Um, but the lilacs were in bloom, and, and of course, up underneath the viaducts, there was still snow packed 20 feet high. Wow. You know, in yeah. May. Yeah. <laughs> but, so. but you can still grow lilacs here. I mean, they need the right conditions. they yeah. got to have really, really good drainage, you know, more alkaline soil. I mean, but... And there are several that are much more, much better for southern climates. Yes. Yeah. That's that, that, and that wasn't always the case the, either. The French lilacs, you can just pretty much kiss those yeah. by. But, yeah. you know, I've got a Japanese lilac tree, uh, which you don't see very often, and it's done quite well. Bloomed last year for the first time. Oh, and so fragrant. It's just, it's wonderful. But it's doing just fine. But, but there again, here we are in the Mid-South, mm-hmm. you know, trying our best to grow some of these things that really don't want 
to perform great here, but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what is your favorite? Okay, like if you want to have your hydrangeas pink, we're going to add lime. Right. If you want them blue, we're going to add sulfur. Or aluminum sulfate. Or aluminum sulfate. And they sulfate. really say that's the it. aluminum. That's what gives it the color. Really? Yeah, I mean, than the sulfur. Now, and yeah. sulfur will acidify. And sulfur mm-hmm. will eventually turn them blue. I'm telling yeah. you, it will. But it's something about the aluminum uh, and the sulfur combined. Mm-hmm. That I think you'll have, you'll you'll get better results that way. Yeah, they, I guess they infuse together and and make nutrients more available that Something way. Something about that aluminum in there. Wow, aluminum. Well, aluminum. I, yeah, I wonder what is the what's the majority of the people's favorite color of hydrangea. Uh, I'm I think blue. blue. Yeah, well, you see more blue. I mean, mm-hmm. simply because our soil tends to be acidic around here. Well, but also there's not a lot of naturally blue blooming things That's out there. One of the things, and you know, I posted a picture of my Georgia blue Veronica, mm-hmm. and so many people responded about how pretty the blue was yeah. because think about it, there is no blue pigment. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's how the plant blends greens and yellows to make that blue. Crazy. And to me, just what what drove it in to develop that way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? what's the reason behind Why that? blue? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, people go out and they search for blues. You well, know? you know, I've never thought about having a blue garden because it's, you know, there's hard to find blues. But actually, there's a lot. There you are. Could do, you could do the... Um, the ajuga, because it blooms blue. Uh, the mazis. And then, of course, any a lot of salvias. There's like, mm-hmm. well, I know three or four that mm-hmm. have the blue on it, like the mealy cup sage. Is that what we still call that? Yeah. And, and yeah. But salvias are great. And, yeah, you, uh-huh. you'll get some blue bloom off and of that. And then we do the hydrangeas. And you can do uh, curiopterus. Yeah. That's a pretty little oh, blue flower. Yeah. I couldn't remember what that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are. So if you wanted to do a blue garden, because we have people in the garden center picking blues out just because that's the least amount. You've got lots of reds and lavenders. Mm-hmm. You could almost do a pretty close to a blue vinca or a blue impatient. There, there are grape colors out yeah. there uh, of the periwinkle, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, or, or is a bluish color. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few, but you don't see as much, typically as much blue as you do, of course, the I pinks. I mean, we are, are in Memphis. Don't we need to have a blues garden? Uh, got it. Got it. Okay. Let's run to a break, and y'all give us a call, 260-5926. You can see us on Facebook Live. Um, if you're having trouble Tuning us in, kwamradio.com is live streaming. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926, or you can look at us on Facebook Live, and you can post questions that way. Yeah, the Mighty 990 right there. And Veda, I'm sitting here looking at you right now. Are you? Yeah, two ways. I got my phone on. I'm looking <laughs> oh, at you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Make sure you hide that phone so I can't see me. Yeah, oh, Because then, uh, <laughs> then there's you see the seven-second delay, and that confuses me. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> also, uh, keep in mind, guys, we talked about this last weekend, the 2022 Daffodil Show uh, coming up March the 19th. Uh, and March the 20th at the Dixon Gallery and Gardens. Uh, the 19th from 2 to 5, and the 20th from 1 to 4. Um, and it's just, uh, it, it's great, I'm mm-hmm. telling you. And, you know, I wonder, there again, people are trying their best, or try their best to have certain things bloom at a certain time. 
Okay. In mm-hmm. this case, daffodils blooming yeah. for the daffodil show. And sometimes that can be really hard to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Since I we saw some blooming in December. Oh, yeah. There <laughs> and there's some blooming now. I've seen a lot of patches of the daffodils. Absolutely you have. I think it was the littler ones, though. I'm not. I haven't seen the big blooms well, yet. Well, but I mean, a lot of that, you know, was a lot weather. of people have said though that even their King Alfreds are smaller flowers. Oh, year. okay. Yeah. I wonder so, why that would be because they're up and down temperature. I'm sure. Uh, and we'll talk about this more, <laughs> but uh, just remember the Daffodil Show, y'all, at the Dixon Gallery and Gardens, uh, Saturday, March the 19th, and Sunday, March the 20th. And you can go to the Dixon Gallery and Garden website site mm-hmm. and uh, read about. You know, if you want Everything. to enter some of your daffodils, oh. as a judge, you know, I mean, it's it, you enter these so beautiful like if blooms. I'm driving down the road and I see a really you cool pull daffodil. over, grab that thing, run it down to the ditch, yeah. and then get it entered. Yes, and see how that works. Um, well, also the Memphis Botanic Garden has the um, cherry blossom picnic, but that's on March nineteenth. Well, that's the that's, that's the same day as the um as one of the same days as well. They're the just daffodil you know show. like a hundred yards apart, right? So there's no reason to get them both. Maybe they can just watch <laughs> both of them. Oh, I don't know. March March 19th, it could be beautifully sunny or it could be cold and rainy. Who knows? Right. So all kinds of good events, lots of good events that are going on. But, um, you know, if you want some information, if you want all the attention in the world from your gardener, then if you head up to the garden centers on days like this, there'll be less people and you can chat more. Yeah, and then one of the things also, we're talking about, you know, the crazy weather that we have here in the Mid-South. Um it it does have an effect on the tissue of different plants. And in this case, I'm talking about evergreen plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, evergreens are, as we know, are shrubs or trees that hold their needles or hold their foliage, uh, mostly year-round. But they still replace that foliage. You get natural leaf drop, and you get new growth, okay? One of the things, for example, like cleara, for example, and some evergreen viburnums, I had a lady come into the garden center this week, and she had a sample of her evergreen viburnum that she had cut the limb off, brought it in, because the foliage looked horrible. Mm -hmm. Spots on it, you know, some some reddish, you know, pigmentation, some yellow pigmentation. And she's like, what am I doing? How am I killing these things? I'm like, you're not at all, you know. Uh It's just not uncommon to see spotting and and that dysfunct-looking tissue this time of year Mm -hmm. On your evergreens. So when I said go out there, you know, and feed them really good, gave her some fertilizer, and let's wait and see what the new growth mm-hmm. looks like. Right, uh, right. Because, I mean, think about even Cleara right now. Mm-hmm. You you always see those spots in Cleara. So if you've got evergreen shrubs, especially fairly large-leaved evergreen shrubs, you're going to see some damage out there. You right. just are. And a lot of times it's just superficial, Veda, as you know. So a lot of times, you know, we just have to wait until the new growth flushes out. Let's take a look at the new growth. Now, if it's clean and green, we're fine, you know. Now, if the new growth comes out with spots on it, per se, then, yeah, let's get in there and start applying some fungicides or whatever. But just keep in mind, just because you're seeing some bad-looking leaves out there this time of year, you're looking at old foliage that has been there since last year. Yeah, and I haven't ever seen a cleara die from mm. that mm. type of issue. I, I hardly ever see them die. <laughs> well, they do great. You know, the hard they're they're so beautiful, and especially if you can prune them right, no, and no. if you're keeping them in a small area, they're just their leaves are waxy, and 
You get some and this Mount Vernon was the same yeah, way. You get a little bit of change in color, but they get those huge stalks. Like mm. especially if you're pruning them, and then if you reach down in and just prune those huge stalks out, then you may have a hole, but it fluffs back out, sort of like a, a boxwood yeah, does. And, and even look at uh, azaleas this time of year. You know, mm. I mean, a lot of people, you know, if your azaleas are ever going to look bad, they're going to look bad this time of year. There again, yeah. I mean, because you're looking at the foliage from last year. That foliage has been around, you know, for the whole growing season through the winter, and we still have it on our azaleas now. And then they'll bloom, hopefully, and then they'll flush out that new growth. So that's my thing, though. Is As bad as a lot of evergreens look mm-hmm. right now, a lot of that, a lot of that is just superficial. Yeah, we're still running into spring. There's so much transition into spring. We're sp- our plants are springing <laughs> into beauty. Yeah, they are. <laughs> but but this young lady just knew that it was something that she was doing or not doing yeah. for these viburnums in this case to look this way. And of course, you know, uh, you know, we say this all the time. I mean, they need to be in the right environment. They need the right amount of sun. They need the right amount of drainage. I mean, there's certain mm-hmm. things that we have to do, but. I just wanted to bring that up because a lot of people go out there, walk their landscapes right now. They'll see these blemishes and think mm-hmm. they have a major problem where a lot of times you don't. Yeah, I would probably, or I would, I have recommended using Cliera over Hollies when they're wanting something softer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of folks don't like the uh, hardness of the Hollies. They want to see softer. And actually... Some of the Clieras have little berries on them, oh, too. Yeah. And, they're, yeah, and they're different varieties of Cliera uh, out there. There's some that get, you know, quite large, like you are talking about a while ago, like Bigfoot, I mm-hmm. think, Cliera. Uh, then there's Bronze Beauty and yeah. some of these other ones. But I mean, it's, it's a neat little shrub also. But, like, my whole point is don't fret if you've got some tissue on there mm-hmm. right now that doesn't look that good. Right. So if you want a no-prune yard and your yard's small, we're saying don't use Iliagnus and don't use Cliera. Because, you know, most people aren't wanting to do a lot of pruning in their yard. You know, you know they don't want to get the hedgers out and just go to But town. see, you're going against my whole I opening know. where the Iliagnus gets that bad rap. Yeah, I know. You I, know? We're changing the culture. Yeah, I guess we are. <laughs> Jim, what do you think? Yeah. I would never rec- not recommend someone to use Eliagnus. Um, I know we're back on Eliagnus yeah. again, but... No, I think <laughs> in the right place. Now, you know, a lot of home lawns, it's it's it gets much too large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, again, it's just the right plant in the right place. And, yeah, it's a good plant. Well, I have... And I like clear a lot. Now, it doesn't take shearing well. Yeah. So you got to be very careful about how you prune That's it. That's right. Well, let's share this first hour and take a break. We'll be right back. I need coffee. <laughs> The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. What is that in your teeth? I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) 
All right, fine then. Let me just get the mic just right. She was eating that cookie as quick as she could, y'all. I'm I telling you. I can't take you guys anywhere. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jim brings us a picnic in the morning. It's so awesome. Kenneth and I get here. We're thirsty. And We're Jim hungry. has water, and he's got a fruit bar for you. And uh, yeah. like Claire said, she can't take us anywhere. Uh, <laughs> Love it. If you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926. 260-5926. And of course, go to Mighty 990 Facebook page, and you'll see Miss Vader right there. You can shoot us a text like john russell did a second ago we were talking about the blues out there and he said don't forget about the blue plumbago yeah which one forgot all yeah. about it well it doesn't matter the blue ground the ground cover has a blue bloom mm-hmm. and very the, vivid bloom yeah. and then the tropical plumbago has a, a very blue, light almost a, a sky blue blue. white mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so john mm-hmm. thank you for that but um yeah two six oh five nine two six and then kwamradio.com you can tune in anytime you want. Of course, you can go back later on and listen to the old podcast. And please, well, if you're not a member, join our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening. Yeah, because that's a fun group. I love it. Um, also, we were going to talk about the potting soils for, yeah. for houseplants because we both had total different experiences this week with houseplants. Yeah, and soil. I'll give you mine, and then or you give me yours, and I'll give you mine. But <laughs> I, my point was, and I made it, made it just a note, is it is really important, and we've talked about this before, to use a quality potting soil. I'm saying really for anything, but especially when it comes to your house plants. Case to point, a lady came in and she had scale all over. I guess it was, I think it was a philodendron that she had. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And she brought the pot in also. And, y'all, the soil that was in that pot, I mean, you... It was the worst soil I think I've ever seen. I'm oh my serious. Goodness, that's saying a lot. And after. I don't know if it came that way or if she actually used just mm-hmm. this soil. And I was explaining to her that the first thing we need to do is repot this thing. Uh, and, you know, and using a mm-hmm. high quality potting soil, whether it was the happy frog, the, you know, the ocean forest, uh, you know, the black goat, just, just a good potting soil, okay? Mm-hmm. And then. For people that do have insects, uh, in this case, especially scale insects on their houseplants, I said you can do this one or two things, uh, one or two ways, or you can do it both. Uh, ideally, an oil-based spray. And uh, mm-hmm. she bought some neem oil, okay? And then she was going to spray the foliage, top and bottom, and the trunks with neem oil. And then also, which I like to use for insurance, is to get a systemic granule insecticide, that you just sprinkle on the soil, come back and water it in. The roots will absorb the product, as you know, and it will just give you protection for about six weeks, okay? But I'm telling you, all of this started because this plant was really stressed, very weak, and that's when they're most susceptible, of course, to these Mm -hmm. insects, in this case, scale. But it all came down, Veda, to that, and Jim, to that potting soil that this thing was growing in. Right, because insects are here to... Get rid of plants that are under stress. Get rid stress. of the weak. Yeah. So when you're seeing insect on plants, that there's something off, whether it's not enough light, too much light, poor soil, where you planted it. Um, sometimes just in general nature happens like that. But insects are, are designed to get rid of plants. Mm. And um, so her soil was too wet. It was soggy. wet, heavy and wet. Right. Yes. Well, and then in my case... We had, um, it was a aurelia, and it was about eight feet tall. We had gotten it in, and it was really pretty when it started. <laughs> but it started dropping some leaves oh, and yeah. then putting more on, dropping, putting more on. And it kept 
It was I, trying to yeah, do its thing. And I took I went took it outside and pulled I was gonna take it out of the soil, see what the root ball looked like. First thing you need to look yeah, at. Yeah, so when I pulled it up, it came out with just these big thick white roots. But that's all they were. They were like four or five thick white roots, which is what holds your plant up. But there was no Not that other good fibrous root yes. system you usually see down there. Right. It did so it was so peaty that it didn't create a soil web to make the root system grow to be able to supply enough nutrients to keep the plant um, from losing leaves and then growing and losing leaves. So a lot of times I've heard people have that even in their landscape, and it's root-bound. Yeah. So this is, it, it happens both ways, but the soil is so peaty. Yeah, I mean, so it, it is important. I'm telling you, and, you know, I've been just as guilty as anybody way, way back when, when I, Same, before I yeah. knew better. I mean, I would just grab the cheapest bag of potting soil I could find. It had potting soil written on the bag, mm-hmm. right? Right. And it's cheaper than this other brand over here. But it, it does make a big difference, guys, on the type of potting soil uh, that you use. It Now, when it comes to your plot outside and you're creating a raised bed, you know, you can get away with different amendments bit, in yeah. there. You still want to use the right stuff. But I promise you, if you use a good, high-quality potting soil, it will make a lot of difference in the way these house plants perform, and I'm, you know, the weaker that plant, like we said, Jim, you know, the more insects you're going to see overall. You sell any Bacto anymore? I was just thinking. No, about I that. mean Bacto was one that we sold for twenty something mm-hmm. years, and mm-hmm. then we started selling more the Fafford container mix, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great. You've mm-hmm. sold it before, remember, Veda, yeah. and then Monrovia. I think you've mm-hmm. got Dirt some of the potting. Those yeah. are all good, high quality potting soils. I'm telling you. Um, so just keep that in mind the next time you're you're using or growing or trying to plant something in a container. It makes a big difference. When I get ready to to repot something, I, I first look at what's the soil that's in there. Um, now you're talking about, okay, go ahead, so, I'm sorry. See yeah. what it is. If it's barky, if it's heavily sphagnum peat, and I try to match that as close as I can if the plant is doing well it's as healthy. it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you pull it out of the pot, if roots have developed around and you know everything looks good, there's no brown, yucky roots, then, it's, well, this plant likes this soil, mm-hmm. so I try to duplicate that as close as possible. Um, where I see most people make a mistake is by not loosening that root ball when they put mm-hmm. it into the container and getting those roots out into your new mix um, yeah. or using a different type soil because when roots get to something that's a texture difference, they don't want to enter that. <laughs> uh, they'll just continue to stay where they're at. And you'll get, like Veda was talking about, a very tall plant with a tiny little root ball mm-hmm. on it. Uh, we see this even a lot in in nursery plants where They'll start something like a camellia or a loquat in a four-inch pot to right. start with. Okay, but the root, by the time they put it up into a gallon, should have gone in a three-gallon, you yes. know, and you've got these circular roots, and those are eventually going to choke the plant. Now, it may take 20 years, mm-hmm. but it's going to happen. So, you know, the, the younger the plant you can get, the better off you are um you know if you've got a if you're buying a 25 foot tree and it's in a you know 15 gallon pot you got issues okay (laughs) 
it's probably not ever going to perform well for you regardless of the price. Because of the way the roots have already mm-hmm. started to grow in that, that container. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you could not cut enough roots loose and it survived. Yeah. You know, so to make it right. It you know I always tell people plant the smallest plants you can stand. Yeah. You know, you're going to end up probably outgrowing a larger one. Well and then what I found out a number of years back was people want to start with the biggest tree possible because they feel like it's going to be bigger sooner. But really, if you're planting a 15-gallon next to a 25-gallon, that 15-gallon will catch up to the 25-gallon large tree, and then they'll start growing together. I can plant a one-gallon southern magnolia next to a 15-gallon, and the one will outgrow it. Mm Mm-hmm. That is crazy. Yeah. It's yeah. because it's taken so long for the root system to develop and, and spread out on a larger tree. Yeah. And when they used to dig these instead of, and a lot of a lot of what you find in container-grown trees were not actually container-grown. Yeah. They were dug in a field mm-hmm. and then... Put in a container. And put in a container. And the question is, were they root-pruned through the years? Yeah. Now, there's some very good growers that do that, but a lot of them don't because you can get a bigger tree faster by not root-pruning. Yeah, sure, most of them don't. So mm-hmm. you could, you know, by the time you get that tree up, and then when they cut it, you're leaving most of the roots back mm-hmm. in that field. Particularly with something like a, a southern magnolia, they have very fibrous root systems, and you know, a ball cypress. You're going to end up leaving lots of roots in the field. Yeah. And I've seen I've seen magnolia sit there for five years and hardly put mm-hmm. on a leaf. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So think small yeah but also you know we were talking about the importance of using a a good high quality potting soil for containers they're really the same is true you're talking about peat moss while ago is amending our soil when we get ready to plant and Veda, remember back in the day, you couldn't put enough peat moss in the soil. Yeah. And, and, and I don't mind peat moss if you use it accordingly. I, you know, mm-hmm. you can add some peat. The good thing about peat, it definitely holds water, okay? The Until bad, it gets dry. Well, the bad thing about peat is yeah. if you let it completely dry out, it really hardly repels. ever absorbs water. Yeah, you know? then it repels. There's no, it's bad, there's... No really nutrients in it, and there's no microbial right, microbial action. I am not a favor, uh, not a not a fan of, of sphagnum peat moss at all. Well, mm-hmm. but but that, my whole point was how much we used to use it. Oh you yeah, know? I'm talking about just truckloads 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, Do yeah. you remember? Oh yeah, we yeah. used uh, how many times? I mean, how it, many truckloads yes. of frozen yeah. bales of peat <laughs> moss? And, and, and people I've would unloaded. use that predominantly yes. as mm-hmm. their soil amendment. Yeah, mm-hmm. which like. Now, I don't mind using some peat, okay? Yeah. But I'm also going to amend it with other things with that peat. Because right. I recall, af- mm. after using peat for a number of years, then the Back to Nature blend, or the Back to Nature, came out. Which so is then, the cotton burr compost. Right. So then it was, uh, we're great landscapers now because we're mis- mixing the uh, Back to Nature with the peat moss. Yeah. Which was definitely an improvement, but we were still using a lot of peat moss. But we're going to run to a break and tell you more about all of this. And if you have questions, 260-5926 or uh, post them on our Facebook Live page. As Kenneth says, texters. Yeah. Text it to us. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Okay, so the peat moss, we've 
hopefully we convince you not to use it. I mean, not you'll to see, overdo overuse it. it. You'll but, see you know, plants you come in. You should see where they harvest this stuff. You know, nothing yeah. grows there but peat moss and pine trees. <laughs> And it preserves things. Y'all quit bad-mouthing peat moss. And it also preserves things really well. You know, and a lot Mm -hmm. of it we're seeing come out of the bags with a pH of three to three and a half. Right. Right. Exactly. That was another point. Yeah. I mean, for for blueberries and hydrangeas and those uh, azaleas and those acidic-loving plants. Mm -hmm. And I'm wonderful. I'm about 99% sure that it kills azaleas or anything in the Uh Ericaceae family, which would include blueberries. So well, and, and and that was my whole point of bringing it up. I I just don't want to see people overdo it with peat. And like I said, I, peat is proven to be a soil amendment. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and like Jim was saying, there are some advantages to it, and there's surely some disadvantages. Um, but I think the disadvantages are really uh, ramped up if you overdo it. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to warn people about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, just sprinkle a little bit in there. I mean, it's a good place to store your bulbs. You know, no, but we're a, talking about it as a soil amendment. <laughs> so, um, and now also, you know, people used to make their own mix where they would buy a bag of compost, a bag of cow manure, right. a bag of cottonseed meal, possibly. And, um, and now you can buy just the back to nature blend. Right. Yeah. And you can get that. It's got or, it all combined for you. Or like the Fox Farm and the um, Earth Mix. Everything's already blended. And garden soils are yeah, good too. Yeah. So you don't have to, um, you know, start blending your own soil. Because I, I have people that <clears> want to blend their own soil. And then when I explain to them what these uh, potting soils have now in them, there's so many ingredients, even the microbial activity or the microbes are in there too, that. A lot of folks are now saying, oh, if I don't have to mix my soil, I'm loving this. No, I agree. Well, I hate to bring up bad news. Um, well, then don't. And yeah, I don't want to scare people, okay? But we've, been, you know, we've talked about boxwood blight really for the last, I don't know, what, six months, yeah. whatever it is. Now I've heard there's been a third case of boxwood blight out there. In Memphis? In Memphis, you mean? Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know there was a second. Yeah, there's been a first, a second, now a third. So to me, that's, uh, I mean, thank goodness that's all we've heard of so mm-hmm. far. Yet. Yeah, see, but but does that mean that, like everything else that gets a foothold around here, you know, whether it's crepe myrtle bark scale or whether it's fire ants or whatever, you know, is this something that we're going to just really have to deal right. with? I think we'll see it first <clears throat> on... Uh, boxwoods that are in poor soil, boxwoods that are pruned incorrectly, uh, boxwoods that aren't fertilized. You know, some of the stressors of plants will make the disease happen sooner on them than as, because, I mean, it's going to. In fact, the gentleman that I was talking to uh-huh. said it's probably just a matter of how are we going to adjust and live with mm-hmm. boxwood blight instead of how are we going to completely eliminate it from this area. Like I said, you know, we've already had three cases of this. And, 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 you know, people love their boxwoods for all their right reasons. And I do, too. Boxwoods, to me, are, you know, they're like a, a staple southern plant, right? So I guess, you know, we're going to have to be aware of what boxwood blight looks like. Uh, be aware of what we need to do if you do see boxwood blight in your landscape. And maybe also be aware of what varieties that we can plant that might be a little more resistant mm-hmm. uh, to this boxwood blight because there again, you know, 
just the other day, it was just the first sighting that we've ever had in Shelby County. Now we're up to our third. Hmm. Jim? Oh, there's a lot more out there. It's you think just, so already? Yeah. We just, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, uh, I think, was spread considerably before it was spotted here the first time. That's usually so, what really happens. Yeah, you know, yeah. the... Um, when Crepe Myrtle Bark Scale got here, it yeah. had escaped and spread quite a distance it before had. anybody ever re- it, recognized it. It had. So, so uh, this is kind of so we're okay. we're not going to be able to stop it. Of course, it's the, the inside the loop. You're going to have houses in some of some beyond, some towards Germantown that are big established houses have had boxwood for long periods of time. Um, that's where you're going to see it spread through. Yeah. Um, and part of it's going to be from the maintenance people, and part of it's going to be from birds. Yeah. And part of it's just going to be from people walking through the garden. Yeah. So so how do you stop something like that if you, you think you, about you it? You can't. You know, what we'll end up with is eventually you'll get those vulnerable boxwoods so far apart that the disease can't support itself. And it'll pretty much collapse unless it's brought in on some additional ones. And we're going to have to end up planting boxwood that don't uh, that what, don't get it. That's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. man. Because I'm thinking about the, um, the client's yard that we worked in a lot that had about 900 boxwoods, but a lot of them were planted close together to make the parterre. Mm-hmm. So we worked years getting that parterre full, mm-hmm. you know, and sturdy looking, so we could prune it into. A nice design. And then we worked on the uh, Green Mountain boxwoods, mm-hmm. the taller ones. And I love them. More conical shape. Yeah, strategically love pruning. And so, man, that's going to be horrible. We don't mm-hmm. work there because now I'm, you know, working in a retail situation. But I, all I can do is think about what if mm-hmm. and probably so all those boxwoods. So say on that parterre, I mean... Is there even a what other boxwood could we use that would perform the same? Yeah, I mean we're gonna have to adjust. I mean, mm-hmm. and like Jim was saying, I mean this it's probably more widespread than we know. Uh, we were just hoping that you know we knew it was out in the Virginias and the North Carolinas, and then it was in the Eastern Tennessee, then Middle Tennessee, and we're thinking, okay, well so far we're good. Mm-hmm. Well, of course now it's it's here, so it's one of those things where we're gonna have to live with. We'll have to adjust to it. Uh, but in the meantime, I mean, there are going to be some beautiful boxwoods out there, like you're talking about, Veda, even some of these places that you've worked in before. For the dwarf one, there is, and I had to look up the name because mm-hmm. I, I had read this once before, uh, Buxus Seneca Insularis Nana, which we carried that at, at Dan West. Um, it looks very similar to um, the true English boxwood, mm-hmm. Sofruticosa. But it will; it's considered fairly resistant, mm-hmm. so I think we'll be able to use that. What's the common? What's uh, Nana is the common name. Nana. Oh, yeah. Nana. Okay. Yeah, and then Green Beauty is considered a resistant one. Mm-hmm. There aren't any that are totally resistant yet. No, and some of those new gens they, they are, come out with independent, more resistant, and freedom, yeah. uh, and they're beautiful boxwoods also. Yeah, uh, they're supposed to be bred to be more resistant to it. Wintergreen, I think, is going to be a, a, a real 
good option mm-hmm. for people. Now, it is a higher maintenance because it grows faster. Right. Uh, but it's a brilliant green instead of the dark green. But I think it's um, if you're wanting to do a hedge or something, that that's going to be a real option. Right. But the old traditionalists, though, Jim, invaded that the American box. Yes, yeah, you know, and that's yeah. that. I mean, when you when I think of boxwood, that's the one I think of. <laughs> but we might have to change our way of thinking here before oh. too too long. <clears throat> but and if you're planting them in containers, I would still do it because. You know, if it gets an issue in the containers, it's easy just to take them out, throw them away or whatever, and then plant them back or plant something different back. But I'm still going to put them in containers yeah. right now. Here's, until some, it here's 10 varieties that are considered resistant. Winter Jim well, gets to be about four feet. Little Missy gets to about two feet. Green Beauty uh, up to about five. Jim Stoffer, we've had that yeah. one. It's about four feet. Uh, Nana, which we just talked about, Green Jim is considered re- resistant. John Baldwin, we've had that one, yeah. it gets to about four feet. Yeah, Morris Midget, which is a yes. real good one, it's a, it only gets to a foot. That'd be a parterre. Uh, one. yeah, you could use Morris Midget for that. Uh, and then New Gen Freedom and New Gen Independence. Independence. Yeah. 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 yeah, So those uh, that's ten of the more resistant ones right there. Well, uh-huh. thank goodness that there are some varieties out there that we might have to go to that we won't have that problem with. Right. Yes. And when I come back, there's a few more I wanted to ask about. So you all get your gardening questions, 260-5926. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Do you know there's a magic machine that sucks carbon out of the air and it costs little and it builds itself? I'm saying plants. You got it. Trees. There you go. Plants. Yep. The magic machine that sucks the carbon out of the air. And it releases oxygen, believe it or not. Yeah. We, um, oh, remember when, oh. If trees were cell phone towers, we would definitely plant a lot of trees then. Because you know we have to have cell phone towers. We're making those more important than our environment. In fact, they're making them look like trees these days. Yeah, and y'all, that doesn't help with the environment. It may help aesthetically, but I don't know if it helps aesthetically either. But (laughs) I would rather see a cell phone tower that looks like a tree Uh than one that's just you know, stuck out just in the middle a, of nowhere. Just a just, pole in yeah. the air. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if any birds have uh, built Oh, I'm sure they have. There. Oh, I'm sure they have. But they're probably like, ooh, I don't like this feeling. Surely. Well, it, well, they wouldn't have anything to hold on to. I was talking to a gentleman the <laughs> other day who is a uh, pretty big bird guy. He'll go out and, and take... Oh, that's not nice. I well, was no, going to say, I mean, I mean, you mean there's... You call him Bird. He's a great guy. They call uh, him really big. He did. No, oh, he's there's a, that. He, he's <laughs> a he's a he likes to go out and take pictures. Oh, okay. uh, of these birds, and a lot of these pictures that he was showing me, these birds were actually building their nest mm-hmm. uh, on, um, and this is out. Okay, yeah. on on telephone poles. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. I've seen. So I mean, yeah. it's just be the, basically the same as building their nest in on a tree-looking cell tower. Yeah. 
But there's no protection. Like they have to have protection around it. Well, think? some of these tree- cell towers look like trees. That's yeah. what we're talking so about. Not good trees, should, but I'm, but I'm no. just trying to like say there's no way that they would be in a fake tree, but probably so. And so there, that helps the environment. Oh well, that hey, helps the birds. Nest, have, I got one that nests in a basket hanging on a on a bicycle handlebar. So yeah, yeah there you go. That exactly. That basket's protective and more feels better than a plastic. Piece of well, they put so much stuff up there, you know, with their, the with their nest, they're fine. Okay. But I'm telling you, though, it's it's pretty cool looking at some of these pictures, and mm-hmm. um, and he, of course, telling me every bird that he was looking at, and he would go down. Uh, in a lot of cases, he would go across the river, mm-hmm. um, not far across the river, and there's pictures of hawks and eagles, believe it or not, uh, and then a lot of times, a lot of the birds were on this side of the river. Uh, invaded some of the species that I'd never even seen or heard of. Right. Um, but it was pretty cool. I'm telling you, there's a lot of, and they really enjoy doing that. I so think, you mean there's more birds than bluebird uh, and yeah. mockingbird yes. and a cardinal? Yes, <laughs> yes. So, uh, but, you know, my hat's off to, to the people that, that do love to go out there and do that kind of stuff. One of my best friends, uh, David Hill, retired pilot, David used to go up to uh, the northern edge of Canada, and he liked to take the pictures of the seagoing birds, mm-hmm. okay? And, of course, beautiful pictures, no doubt about it. I've seen them, you know, where this gentleman uh, was taking pictures of the more native birds and some of the migratory birds that come through here. But, it, you know, it, he said part of the experience is just being out. Mm-hmm. You know, whether he sees a bird that day or takes a nice picture that day, is really almost irrelevant to him because he's just out yeah. enjoying it. So that's what hunters say too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, we used to complain we don't see anything, you know. Right. Well, um, yeah, like my granddaughter came up here from Florida, and she was like, when she was younger, she said, "Where's all the big pretty birds?" Yeah, well, there's no know, flamingos always, and seagulls right, typically right. around here, and uh, pelicans. Yeah. All the cool kind of birds. And then when I'm going back down to Florida and uh, my son's patio is facing out on a large lake. And it is amazing just to sit there and watch how the different types of birds, like their bills. Completely different. And they use them for different reasons, of course. And it's like amazing how different areas are a whole different ecosystem, you could say. You know, because these people don't travel much, you can tell. Exactly. I, yeah. I travel three times a year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. They know how to get from here to <laughs> Destin, Fort, Fort Walton area. Oh. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about the time I was canoeing in the clear, fresh water in a manatee? They just right under the boat, mm-hmm. right beside me. That's why you see those and scars just, on their back all the time from the propellers that come flying through oh, there. Oh, it was amazing, though. So, Anyway, this isn't the zoo. Show, well, but I'm talking I about guess. you know. But then I'm getting into you know people feeding the birds, and mm-hmm. I know Jim. You know you use what mealybugs or, or mealworms. <laughs> I'm sorry, not mealybugs. Yeah. yeah, I use mealworms. That would suet. be good uh, if you could. I, I feed well, I, I feed the suet cakes that are or sunflower seeds and mealworms, and then I've switched to Spanish fly larvae because they're cheaper than mealworms. Well, there to, you go to feed to the <laughs> bluebirds. And and the blackbirds get a few of them too, but but you really don't use a loose seed. You surely I, can. I don't, if you I don't want use to. anything with millet uh, yeah. or anything with corn, because yeah. those will really draw blackbirds. Uh, and I the millet draws sparrows so bad. Yeah. But I, you know, I have kinglets. 
I have um, finch, goldfinches, house finches. And you said bluebirds also. Yeah, bluebirds, um, several uh, woodpeckers. Yeah. Uh, so get you know get quite a variety. It's fun. And yesterday I I moved my electrified one over so where I could electrify both of them. But you know, he's got it rigged up yeah. where if the wrong bird gets on there, well, no birds or can, squirrels. Bir- I'm sorry, yeah, birds can get on there because yeah. they can only touch one wire at a time. Exactly. But the squirrel, if he's, he's hanging on to the chain and reaching down to the bird feeder, <laughs> uh, he gets a little zap from the electrified fence. You've so. got to take a video. I know. Of this, I was going to say yeah. you need it because then you could be on the world's funniest video. I know. What about the sunflower seeds? You know, I mean, pure mm-hmm. like black oil sunflower. Yeah, yeah you know? great, great for cardinals and yeah. that sort thing yeah. but uh, i have plenty of cardinals around because uh, you know when the birds feed on them they'll actually knock some of the sunflower off on the ground right. so you get a lot of of good what i consider good birds feeding on the uh, on what hits the ground so you know, I, I love finch finches mm-hmm. and the only time i've seen a large amount of finches mm-hmm. <laughs> is in japanese maples at stringers a uh, long time ago we stocked a lot of Japanese maples, ball and burlap, and they were all in this one area. And the finches were just all over. So it was really mm-hmm. pretty, the yellow birds against the burgundy foliage well, of I the maples. But, but after that, I haven't really seen any. Well, and, but we're, 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 the reason we brought this up is if you do feed your birds, I mean, you can feed them with whatever you want. But we typically tell people, use a high-quality bird food, mm-hmm. bird seed, or in Jim's case, use some really good... Uh, suet cakes uh, either way and can you feed them with you know cracked corn nothing but pure corn yeah you can but you're going to get a lot of stuff out there that you probably don't want to oh, see oh jimmy cracked corn and i don't care yeah see <laughs> oh my god can't help it um so what well one, one thing i want to talk about also <laughs> is in you know shrubs with berries okay because mm-hmm. you know a lot of times these shrubs can be very indescript and just blah kind of green mm-hmm. shrub until fall comes around. And then you're so glad you planted yeah. that shrub. Uh, whether it's a purple berry like the calicarpa, you know, uh, that shrub just, it doesn't look attractive to me during the growing season. Yeah, just another Yeah, but when they start shrub. dropping their leaves and you get those beautiful purple berries, I mean, that's the reason you plant these things, you know. Uh, the red berries, like uh, chokeberry, for example, and a lot of the hollies, uh, uh-huh. nandinas. Viburnums. Pi- Viburnums, yeah. pyracanthas. I mean, there's a lot of things out there that have beautiful red berries uh, and deciduous hollies. I mean, to me, that is, you know, the glory of all of them. But, there, I mean, you, you, I guess you have to get used to the fact that there are some shrubs out there that— are not going to look their absolute best, in my opinion, until they start producing these berries. Well, they don't particularly do it year round, mm-hmm. you know. So it, yeah. it, it kind of teaches us to be a little patient, I guess. Right? Yeah, and just enjoy each season. Don't use one shrub to try to create something interest each season. Plant you'll get multi. a lot of people too that'll say, "Oh, don't plant nandinus because it'll kill the birds." Hey, okay. what about the what? chokeberry? I've heard that also. Yeah, you know, because okay. the berries are just big enough to, to get in their mouth on. but choke them. Well, no, they That's actually humans, they're maybe. just with nandina berries. They're just like apple seeds. If you eat enough of them, you get cyanide poisoning. Yeah. Um, but very few birds do that. Most mm-hmm. birds just eat a few of them and they're fine. 
And if you've got just a couple of bushes, there's not enough there to cause you grief. It's birds that are stupid, like cedar waxwings, that are they're, they're gorge feeders. They'll just eat until they kill themselves, basically. But that's what happened. They'll eat so many seed that they'll actually die from cyanide poisoning. But it's uh, it it you know don't plant if you have cedar waxwings and you know that they come through every year, then don't plant a hundred nandinas. You know, yeah. but one or two is not going to give them any grief. We used to have a, an East Palatka holly on the corner of the, the first house Carol and I lived in. And it was 35, 40 feet tall, just loaded with red berries. And the cedar waxwings would come through usually between Christmas and New Year's Aww. and just wipe that tree out. Yeah. And there was one old mockingbird lived in that thing. And just she'd fly all around that thing yeah. trying to chase them out of there. Yeah. It was a hoot to watch. Yeah. But, you know, they, are, uh, they will. They'll strip them. You know, but then they're gone. So, All right, but, the, the, but don't worry about nandinas. Plant them. And there's so many nandinas now, too, that don't even produce berries. That's true. And what about mm. chokeberry? You know, chokeberry has got a berry a little bigger than the size of a nandina. Yeah. And, of course, you know, I've always heard that the term chokeberry, it will choke a bird. But is a yeah. bird? Yeah. I mean, I've never <laughs> really seen that before. Yeah. No one's ever came to me and go, hey, I've got dead birds in my landscape because I've got chokeberry out there. I always yeah. figured they named it um, from a human testing out the chokeberry to they see don't taste how good. it tastes. They yeah. Don't taste good. And so I'm thinking, oh, it's so gross about choked. So that's why I thought it was called the chokeberry. I planted berry. a red and a black one years mm-hmm. ago when, and. Over the years, I just ended up taking them out. They got some leaf diseases, mm-hmm. just, you know. But they they just weren't very pretty shrubs unless yeah. I cut them to the ground every year mm-hmm. and let them flush mm-hmm. back up. Then they'd be full of leaves, and, and they'd have plenty of berries. Uh, but if I just left them alone, they got twiggy and mm-hmm. ugly looking. Yep. And Thank it you. just, you know, in a small garden, it wasn't something I wanted. Now, if you've got a big area where you're doing a natural habitat, I think they're fine. Yeah. So but, what about the Ilex vomitoria? The holly. <laughs> Most the holly. Yeah. But the name, vomitoria. Yeah. Yep, because it'll make you throw up. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but but people do love uh, shrubs that will produce, it seems like, berries at mm-hmm. some point. Uh, and there's a lot of them out there. But like we're saying, no, if it's got chokeberry, don't worry about the chokeberry. It's not going to choke your birds out there. <laughs> and, they're, you know, I've heard that forever, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just another one of those garden myths that I've never seen Ooh, come to fruition. You're debunking a yeah, garden Yeah, debunking it. The chokeberry is absolutely fine if you want to plant one. Don't worry about the birds. Okay, let's run to a break and uh, give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. It's a nice snowy morning, but the sunshine is out. I'm looking out the window. It looks beautiful out there. Really It'll be all gone here no, in just a couple of hours. No, I can't hear you say that. I do not want it to all go away. I mean, the streets are great, so can we just have the snow for a couple of days? But no, it's nope. summer tomorrow. Nope. It's summer tomorrow. It's summer next week. So is this our faux winter just like next Saturday? I mean, next Saturday. No, last Saturday. Yeah. We were talking about spring fever and how beautiful it is and all of that. Or was. It was that way yesterday morning. (laughs) This is true. Oh, but it changed really fast. You're exactly right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, snow gardening. 
Well, but also, <laughs> you know, keep in mind around here, we probably won't, you know, we always get one of these late cold spells, it seems like, every year. And, of course, the frost date is mm-hmm. April 15th, and I've said that to many people in the past week. People coming in looking for, you know, tomatoes and, and patients. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and like Jim always says, you know, if you plant before April the 15th, you are taking a chance. But be sure to look at the weather. A lot of people do it anyway. And like Jim always says, you know, we don't mind selling to the public two times, you mm-hmm. know. Or three. Or yeah. three. Um, in fact, I think we got some bedding plants coming in next week. And we'll mm-hmm. tell people, you know, if they're having a party or whatever, a lot of times they'll put them in containers just to have some color. But we also tell people, you know, be careful planting a lot of these outdoors in beds, uh, you know, before April the 15th, because you could have a late uh, freeze or even mm-hmm. a late frost that could damage some of these plants. So, you know, this time of year, we're still in that transition period, uh, as right. you know, Veda, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're all impatient. And yeah, I get that we also, are. you know, so. Yeah, I'm like getting all my color from local growers yeah. like not right in memphis some in memphis but in the mid-south or the surrounding areas yeah so i are gonna i'm gonna have to wait a little longer before i get the color in yeah. because they're growing with the way our season is here so mm-hmm. i'm just gonna have to wait well but i'm just saying you know people will plant sooner mm-hmm. than they potentially should but i do have some gerber um daisies Which in stock yeah and when I ordered this, the truck, the truck, the shrubs and all, they had on the list blooming Gerber daisies. So you got well, some of, of those course, with the shrubs that I came did, in. but of course I got stuck in the mindset that a lot of us do that it's springtime. Yeah. But when they came in, <laughs> it was winter. So yeah. we've got them in the building, but now I'm going to take them out and they're going to be gorgeous and we'll have some and color. And people can put them in containers and they're mm-hmm. great, I'm telling you. And that's a neat little plant too because a lot of times if you do put them in containers, which a lot of people do, and you put that container in just in a protected spot over the winter, a lot of times they come yeah. right back out for I, you. I've had clients that that's happened uh, come back time, and, and then I'm asking, well, did it bloom? Well, yeah. yeah. But in the summer, they're not blooming. Maybe maybe a bloom here and there, and they need some protection from the shade. A sun, maybe, in the summer. That's right. Just to have blooms longer. But they're they're more of a spring, fall bloomer. But their foliage is interesting. So you can yeah. put it in a container and be. Would you plant them, Jim, in the ground like a row of them? No. Or yeah, see, I wouldn't either. But I would definitely put them in containers. Yeah, and anything you put in container, and I know we got Bob on. Anything you put in container, you know, you can always move that container to protect it. Yeah. If you're planting yeah. early in the year, you know. Right. Oh, y'all have to get the um, the rollers. The uh, saucers that have rollers on them. The caddies? Yeah, the caddies to move things around, too. That would make it easier because a lot of people quit doing that because they can't lift the containers or move them around the patio anymore. Well, put them on those roller caddies and you're good to go. The reason why I'm saying that is because I tried to pick up a large house plant and for some reason can't imagine why uh, it was too heavy it used to not be too heavy years ago but it was too heavy uh, so i had to, and and you i have to move things around the garden center because you're displaying or you sell stuff or whatever yeah. and it's hard to get the guys up there to help move the stuff so i had them put all the big stuff on rollers so now we just roll it so around you hear that she's just trying to figure out the easy way to do yeah, it yeah exactly and how important is it if you're using especially to me if you're using 
larger containers, and especially if you're using heavy, say, concrete containers, mm-hmm. how important y'all think it is to use some kind of a pot foot yeah, very, up under that container. Very important. Because it's amazing how they are going to have a hole, typically in the mm-hmm. bottom of that pot for drainage. I have seen those holes plug up so many times, guys, mm-hmm. because the heavy concrete is flush with the concrete that it's setting yeah. on. And it's not hard, and, you, and it, to me it's hard to imagine, but it's not hard for that hole to get plugged up and you have no drainage in that concrete yeah. pot that's got a huge drainage hole in the bottom of it. Right. You know. And if it's sitting on dirt, roots will grow right through it and <laughs> fill up that hole so the water can't get out. Oh, that's true. At Randy Moskowitz, he had a big container and he had a, yeah. um, starts with a C, ketoniaster mm-hmm. that, that he had stalked, had it in staked. And a beautiful top on it. But it had been there so long. Out of the hole was a root about an inch and a half. Mm-hmm. And it um, started growing down between the sidewalks. I mean, the bricks on the patio. So it was a huge root. And we need, we really had to move it because they had to do some construction there. Cut the old root off. Yeah, but that was nerve-wracking because mm-hmm. I'm just taking mm-hmm. its big source of nutrients and water. So we cut it and moved it and it made it, but it was scary. <laughs> I thought that, you know, taking that big root off, everything would just die. The berries would fall off. But we did root stimulator and all of that and it did make it. Yeah, but so. I'm telling you, I mean, drainage is so important in these containers and, and pot feet really do help. And it's just mm-hmm. simple, you know, just it just lifts that pot off of the ground half an inch or whatever. But mm-hmm. it really improves or it, it ensures that you typically will have decent right. drainage. And that's the big thing. Well, like three minutes later, I'm just all of a sudden it's hitting me what uh, Jim just said. Wonder why when that got so big try, coming out of that hole that it didn't block the water. I wonder why, because that's true. Well, it that can. root grows out and then all of a sudden the water can't get out. It, it can. Yeah, huh. we. When I was on the... Uh, City Beautiful Commission in Bartlett, we every year have to pot, plant the pots that are up and down Stage Road. And there's one at the corner of, of Alteria and um, Stage. I know it. It sits in front of that bank there, mm-hmm. and it always grows through the bottom of that. When we put uh, sweet potato vines in it, you get sweet potatoes above, in the pot and below the Ooh, pot. Ooh, <laughs> that could be fun, though. Yeah. Okay, we finished our two hours, but guess what? We have another hour. I'd love to see you back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Love to have you here with us on the third hour on this snowy morning. I can't believe I'm saying that in March, so this isn't a recording from January. This is for real now. (laughs) Now, in, in my world, it's a sunny morning. Okay. Oh, sunny morning in your world. And I'm going with the snow. I just love the snow. And especially like now, because I don't have to feel guilty wanting the snow, but then all the other people have to drive on the icy roads when I get to stay home. So it's nice and snowy and the roads are clean. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, for the most part, everything's going to have trouble following that. What? <laughs> well, she said she loves snow. Well, she loves snow on the lawns, yeah, and the shrubs and the houses. But she likes the streets to be clean. Uh, yeah. That's the way my wife wants it. Walks clean. Mm-hmm. You know. 
overall, Jim and Vada, yeah. are we going to be okay after this? You know, this cold spell here. Well, overall, we'll be fine, but some of the plants are going to suffer. <laughs> well, and that's what I mean. I mean, what about lawns, for example? You know, Bermudas were just starting to come out of dormancy. Yeah, it's, it's not going to face yeah. the lawns. Well, I mean, so the ground temperature was so warm; mm-hmm. I, they're mm-hmm. hardly going to know anything. Oh, so they're going to be fine. Yeah, and most of your typical hardy trees and shrubs are going to be fine. Most of them, yes. And, but it's just some of these tender things like hydrangea flowers are going to be. Iffy at best. Well, what about forsythias and quince and those kind they, of things? They won't be bothered. Okay. You know? uh, we're borderline on cherries. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if they're showing color, it got cold enough to, to hurt those. I think 20, what somebody, I heard just a little while ago on a commercial or something, that 27 is about the lowest that cherry flowers will take. If they were really budded out. If they're budded out. Because yeah. I did see a couple cherry trees budded out. Yeah, blooming. Some, full bloom, actually. Yeah, the early one that has the deep pink flower. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of the name. The Kwanzaa? Okami or, or Okami. Uh, or, uh, yeah, Okami. that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always want to call it Kwanzaa. Yeah. That's not it, though. Yeah. Okami, yeah. yeah. So it's... Um, yeah, some of those may get zapped. Fruit trees, they're going to be iffy because mm-hmm. the buds are swollen on those. Roses will be fine. Oh, oh yeah. They, they're not going to, they're <clears throat> hardly phased at all. Right, yeah, which is so good. I'm glad to hear that at least. So let's, let's just hope overall that, you know, yeah. typically we're going to we're gonna be fine. And, of course, some people may say to themselves, I hope. That snow killed that plant. <laughs> I hope because I didn't want it there or I don't like it. So I bet some people are saying that too. And of course, roses, Veda, this could be the big thing next. You know, mm-hmm. it, you know, we're just now starting to get a lot of roses in, you know, the hybrid teas and floor abundance and granite floors climbers. And now the David Austins are starting to come in. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like, you know, Years ago, roses were a big thing. Everybody mm-hmm. had roses. And then it's, it's almost like they went out of favor for a while. Uh, maybe because of the maintenance and the mm-hmm. upkeep and everything. But now it seems like they're back big right. time in style. Well, we're you know? learning to plant them in with the landscape, mm-hmm. which helps the whole culture of the plant, with even with insect and diseases, because you don't have a monoculture created mm-hmm. with the rose garden. Right. So when you just had all roses, there was a lot yeah. of work to do. But when you have them throughout your yard, it's much easier. Yeah, but I promise you, in the last four or five years, I mean, we have sold you know, lots and lots and lots of roses. And I'd like mm-hmm. to see that interest come back. You know, because yes. things do come and go, you know, over the years. But roses are, are they're back in favor mm-hmm. big time. And maybe, like I said, not only for the beautiful roses that you get, of course, and there's so many landscape-type roses you can put out there in the landscape now that are almost hands-free, but a lot of these, you know, for the fragrance also. So, yeah, I'm kind of glad yeah. to see that. Yeah, we're doing a lot of the uh, shrub roses and the one, the white carefree rose. Mm-hmm. Man, that bloomed Fully all summer, and that's the beauty of a shrub rose is mm-hmm. is they they're not the best for cutting and putting in right. a vase, which you somehow mm, could. But they're cute yeah. little dainties, yeah. But they're almost hands free. I mean, mm-hmm. they're extremely hardy, but they bloom their heads off, and that's the drift roses, the knockouts, mm-hmm. the carefrees, yeah. those types of roses. Uh, and they're great for what they call landscape roses. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they're good borders. They're good specimen. They're great for containers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can do some shrub roses here, some floribundas over there, you know, get all different kinds of roses. Um, climbing roses. Mm-hmm. I love the blaze. 
That's a beautiful one. Um, Cecil Bruner. Mm-hmm. Am I remembering that one correctly? Is it Cecil Bruner? Well, yeah, I mean, right name? Mm-hmm. That one's a great climbing route. Well, and it comes down to well, the New Dawn, the White Dawn. Oh, you yeah, know, those are, I mean, they, you know, people gobble those up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the America Climbing America is kind of a coral color. Uh, and, of course, there's reds and yellows. I mean, it really comes down to a matter of preference on what color yeah. you like. Um but, yeah, I mean, as Should, long as you've got something for those things to grow on, even some of the David Austins are so, considered climbers. So let's see, Jim. That's what I hate about the word climbers because mm-hmm. that, that gives you, the, you know, and even Kenneth said they give, have something for it to grow on. Yeah. And they don't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. something to attach it to. There yeah. we go. Right. They are not, yeah. There's no such thing as a climbing rose. And they it's are, vertical. They are ramblers. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. They're really ramblers. Uh, and... It's not a vine. No. Yeah. So you have to train them up, and they bloom best on horizontal wood. Mm-hmm. So if you're growing them up a chimney, they're not going to bloom as well as if you're running them down the top of a fence. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, yes. whenever you attach them to something, you multiply the the possibilities of it getting mm-hmm. diseases because you get a lot less air movement around them. So they're going to be more maintenance than a shrub rose or a bush rose out in your garden. And yeah. you're exactly right. At one client's house, they were trying making it, they were just letting it grow and, and trying to make it grow upright. So we took it and um, like a spellier is yeah. what you would call it, Starting, and ran it just like started you said, going those Jim, lateral across the top of the fence. Mm-hmm. The whole row of a, it was twelve feet because we did one one way, one the other, bloomed so profusely. And the client was like, "How did you do that?" And I said, "Just did it horizontal instead of vertical." And there you are. Yeah, and they get canes on them, you know, that are pretty good size. So they you will. can't just we used to have the wayward vine guides, you yeah. know, that glued yes. the thing. That Those would rip work. off an yes. heartbeat. Oh, just tear <laughs> the whole brick out. you got to put a countersink into uh-huh. the concrete and between the bricks to tie these things to. So, and you, and all, you have to stay on top of it. As it's putting out that new growth each spring, that's when you need to be working with it. It's mm-hmm. easy to bend, mm-hmm. easy yeah. to tie up. You know, when it sticks out in your yard four feet and then you want to mm-hmm. take it back, uh, exactly. you can't do it. I've been whipped by one of those before. Yes. And another, and now we got line one ringing, but another neat uh, rose, and, but, you know, are the Lady Banks roses, okay? It's a, it's a almost like a thornless type rose. Uh, beautiful foliage and millions of little small blooms once uh, a year. Well, exactly, and and the drawback is they bloom that heavy, heavy bloom, but they do it one time. Yeah. yeah, you know where most of your all your other roses typically are repeat bloomers. Now, granted, you get most of your blooms in the spring and then most of your blooms in the fall, but on all your roses, typically speaking, other than maybe the Lady Banks, you get more sporadic blooming in the summer when it's really hot. Yes. Oh, I have to apologize to the caller. Um, We didn't get them in time. I think they bumped off. So if you want to call back, uh, we'd love to take your question. And um, what also things that you can plant with roses around roses to make your nice little cottage garden. Well, but let me say this real quick. Also, Mm -hmm. if you are going to do roses. Uh, You do need more sun than shade. I've Mm -hmm. seen so many people putting these things where they just don't get enough sun. You need well-drained soil. They love water, but they don't want to set in water, which Mm -hmm. really a lot of things, most things don't. And they do need that soil to be a little more alkaline, you know, so maybe a little lime around these roses. So no peat moss. And they are are heavy feeders, so feed them monthly 
I usually start in March and I give them a, a dose in October. Yeah. Uh, last one. Every month, last you mean? One. Every yeah. month, yes, because they are heavy feeders. And with everything except the cl- the climbers, <laughs> yeah. you know. You well, want, we're going to keep calling them that, Jim. Yeah. And the shrub roses, you want to prune hard. The harder you prune, the better results yeah. you're going to get. The more flowers you're going to get, the bigger flowers you're going to get. Now, hold on. For people that don't understand, repeat what you just said. because okay. Pruning hard. Yeah. Okay. Now, <clears throat> like hybrid teas and, and floribundas, uh, well, hybrid teas and grandiflores primarily, there is a dormant flower bud down the stem. When you look at the stems, you, you'll see uh, a set of first a set one or two leaves and a set of three leaves. And right. eventually there'll be a set that has five leaflets, leaflets yep. on it. Cut just above that. Mm-hmm. And there is a dormant flower bud that will come out there and bloom. But after that one's mm-hmm. gone, you want to cut as far down as you can, down in, into the inside of the plant and get it down low because the lower you go, the bigger stem you're going to get to come off, and that's going to produce the bigger flower. And you're doing that uh, once a year, typically this time no, of year, or are you going in there every, doing that during the growing yeah. season? Every time you, you cut, cut a flower. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, don't, don't be afraid to prune hard. So you're definitely going down to at least a five leaflet when the you do. The first time. Yeah. yeah. And then after that, go way down the stem. All right, what about knockouts? A lot of people, they'll say they'll let these knockouts come out and just flush out and get that first heavy set of blooms. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go out there after that first heavy set, if need be, and even cut them back then. And that's probably a good idea. I agree. A good idea. Just to keep yeah. the your, the your chances of getting the rose rosette. Mm-hmm. Yeah. is a- After you get a flush of blooms, cut down 10, 12 inches off, throw mm-hmm. it away. Uh, let it and flush then back let out. Let it flush again. Repeat every time. And you'll have uh, probably grow them for years without any issue. Mm-hmm. 2605926. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back. If you're having a hard time picking us up, go. You can stream us online at KWNRadio.com. Yeah. yeah. Uh, somebody had, you know how you say things over and over and over so much that all of a sudden it just out of mus- muscle memory comes out. So somebody, uh, I was talking to a vendor or something and she said, uh, "What? what's your name? And I go, uh, Veda Vance at PalladioGardens.com. <laughs> <laughs> nice Cause, name there, Veda. Because I, I just automatically give my email. But if you, you want to listen to us, though, there's quite a few different ways. You got, uh, what, the Mighty 990, 990 AM, uh, and then you got 107.9 mm-hmm. FM. You've got uh, Facebook Live, the Mighty 990 Facebook. And then you got kwmradio.com. And so, the podcast. Yeah, so there's so and many Jim's, different ways. Uh, and our Facebook group yeah. where you can post questions all week long. And Jim, how long has that Facebook group been going on? This is the we fourth st- year, third uh, year? Th- in March will be the fourth year. And yes. how, how we'll this thing is year. just yeah. taken off. Did you envision that at, at all? Really? I didn't, no. Uh, when yeah. I started, how could you it, we had like 11 people. And I just thought, you know, I've got all this information that I've had stored in my head. And before I forget it, you know, um, the, you know, try to share it with some people. Well, so we got about a thousand people the first year. That's amazing. You know, and we're just now we're about we're getting close to seventy four hundred mm-hmm. now. Wow! So. You know, you can check us out on the Instagram. I know Dan West posts on Instagram and Palladio Garden posts on Instagram too. So um, you can yeah. see some of the things we talk about. Yeah. But tell your friends wherever they are in the country. You know, they get the. You can join the Facebook group. It's real simple. 
And um, now there are some questions on there that we like for you to answer. Uh, and if you don't answer them, I won't let you in. Not no. gardening questions. No, they're not, not gardening <laughs> questions. It's, it's not just, a test. You know, we're, this, this group, and I've heard this from a number of the members, this is has zero drama in it. There's yeah. no name calling, no trying to convince you to... You're you're destroying the world yeah. by using an insecticide. Yeah. We don't allow any of that. This is this is just it's good conversation between people who have done it and people who want to do it. Mm, got uh, it. So we we don't allow advertising. Uh, we don't want you trying to sell your services to anybody. Yeah. You know, you're welcome to 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 share knowledge with people. If yeah. you know, if you're a landscaper or something like and I that, I see a lot of that. We have yeah. a number of companies that are on there that have uh, that are tree guys mm-hmm. uh, or landscapers who are, are quite knowledgeable and and give their inf- their opinions and information mm-hmm. for free. And this this it's a great place just to. Just yeah, to talk. I have to agree. Right. Well, speaking of landscapers, I know a gentleman here in town, Hunter Ivy, great guy. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. he just he really is a wonderful fella. And he uh, sent me a picture yesterday of a river birch that was bleeding on his driveway to the point where it looked like it had <laughs> rained on the driveway. Mm-hmm. I'm serious. It did look like that. With I mean, the photo just wet, wet, mm-hmm. wet. So, and it wasn't a cut. It wasn't like a fresh cut limb. Mm-hmm. This was a broken limb. So what's the so what do we do? Just clean the cut up and be patient. Make a fresh cut. Yep, and eventually it'll come. It'll stop. Uh, birches are bad about that. Maples are bad about that. If, you know, you have to prune them in the fall if you're going to do any work on them. Right. Uh, but with these the ice storm and the breakage, right. you got to do some cleanup. Mm-hmm. And and they will. The, you'll get puddles on the ground up underneath them. And th- it was a puddle under yeah. there. And it's, sti- and it's still bleeding, by yeah. the way. And then once it's stopped, and which it will when the temperature gets a little bit warmer, then if there's any of that sticky stuff left on the tree, you know, try on the to, trunk. Yeah, try to, you know, use a little light soap and water or something, get that off. Um, I use Clorox and water usually, mm-hmm. just Hydro like one to ten. and water, Clorox and water, anything yeah, like that. Yeah, just to get some of that sticky stuff off so that you don't get fungus and stuff growing on it that might get into the tree. So, so he's all good. Yeah. But don't bandage it. Other yeah, than no, making don't a don't prune, don't yeah. put paint on it. Yeah. None of that stuff. Well, you mean you can't stop that and try to seal it up? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but oh, but other than making sounds a sounds like a really good idea. It does, does doesn't yeah. it? But you're not gonna be able to do it. So other than making a instead of a jagged, mm-hmm. you know, broken limb up there, I mean, try to make a good, fresh, straight, yeah. clean cut yeah. that catches water, and therefore you run the risk of fungus getting inside of it. And you know the. Trees are only alive just right under the bark. All the stuff in the center of it's dead wood anyway. Right. right. Um, think about it. It is. And then if you're pruning up next to the trunk, then don't prune it even with the trunk. No. Yeah. You know, where because some people try to hide that cut. So by, needs, by just getting right up to the trunk yeah, and making that cut. Right. Because that causes issues. Yeah. You can know if you look at where the limbs come out, you'll see where it kind of. It looks like the bark kind of changes directions, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that there's a layer of cells there that you want to cut just to the limb side of that. And if you do that, it will heal right over and eventually close it up. Get a callus right back yeah. over. So, but if you cut too close, then it won't do that. No, you'll get a rot spot in your trunk of your tree yeah. that's that will just hold decay right. and, and continue to get worse. And, and you was, won't know the trees hollowed out yeah. until it falls on your house <laughs> right. in about 20 years. And all that was was just a simple one cut <laughs> uh, that yeah. just caused that whole issue. Right. And you can 
cut it, have a little bit of an angle sure. where the water hits it and runs off yes. as well. So at an angle, I mean, that's pretty much anything you're pruning. Prune it at an angle instead of straight across. So if you're seeing some bleeding trees, especially birches and maples this time of year. Now, you'll also see some bleeding trees where you'll see stuff running down the barks, and that's a condition called wet waters or slime flux. Not a good thing. That's a bacterial infection in the hardwood. Now, it's not going to kill a tree. Uh, but it can make it susceptible to other issues, and you can get heartwood rots and that sort of thing. If you go out in the woods, probably 70% or so of the trees in the woods are infected to some extent. You mean with that particular disease? With that particular disease. Wow, that's a high number. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you usually see it'll look like a little discoloration coming from a crotch or from a limb. uh, And all it is is it gets a bacterial infection in there and Mm. carbon dioxide is formed and it bubbles out, bubbles the sap out wherever there's a, a damage or a crotch or something like that. Yeah. A crack, and and yeah. it will just run right down the trunk. And again, you can clean it off if you if you want to, um, but it's not again going to kill your trees. Sometimes it'll cure itself. Well, that's not good to hear because I've got a tulip popper in my front yard that I've been wanting to get rid of for the last <laughs> twenty years, and I've talked about this tree. Well, it's it, you're gonna and have it, to pick something else because it ain't gonna kill it. Well, again, <laughs> I have seen this happen to that tulip popper, and I'm thinking. Yeah. Man, this thing's on the way out. That's the you know? sh- that's the plan I was talking about. Some people, not that exact one, but some people want things to go away. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're hoping the freeze. And I've offered damage. to do that. I'll <laughs> come by there one night and that tree will be dead in a week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Gina is listening. It's oh. going to cost you this. <laughs> so, um, so perennials, you know, we haven't talked much about uh, perennials on these three hours. So much wonderful stuff to talk about. Well, perennials and annuals. You know, we do lavender. First Lav- of all, what's the difference between a perennial and an you annual? You know, we always get that backwards, yep. and it sounds... Uh, it sounds like what it shouldn't be. Yes, the way it shouldn't, but a perennial comes back year after year. An annual just lasts one year. That's right. But I'm thinking... Annually, it comes yeah. back. No, but you know? an annual is just a one-year deal. And, you know? and not all our perennials come back all the time. You know, some are only like two or three years yeah. some old. Some are short-lived perennials. Some are biennials. Yeah, like they the do their thing hop. in two years' time. Yeah. Right. But, yeah, but so perennials are a big deal because, mm-hmm. like you said, you plant them one time. Typically speaking, and they come back every year, whether it's ferns, hostas, and a million more. Uh, but the uh, the difference, though, is, you know, Veda, the big difference is the annuals bloom basically every day for you. From the day you put them in the ground till the first hard frost, mm-hmm. they're blooming every day. Where the perennials, they have different blooming seasons, I mean, you know, different blooming times, but they don't bloom every day like an yeah. annual. Some of them have long blooming seasons, some of them don't, but they come back every year. That's the yeah, beauty of that it. that is. And, yeah, like the lavender that I love so much, but we don't plant a large amount of it just because of maybe, maybe not. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. our uh, weather's not good for it. But if you want that look, you could go with the annual Angelonia, the uh, false... Oh. The snap summer dragon. snapdragon. Yeah, yeah, the summer snapdragon. You could do with the angelonia because it is like a lavender color bloom. Oh, I love angelonia. Yeah, there, so that would look gorgeous. And you know what else it would look good with the dusty miller? 
and um, the artemisia, the artemisia. You could do a white silver garden, the dusty miller or the artemisia and the white angelonia. People love to use different contrast of colors, Uh, you know, whether it's the dusty miller that has and the artemisia Mm -hmm. that has the silver foliage. Of course, all the variegated plants out there. And then think about just the old simple potato vine, you know, that's got that chartreuse, you know, leaf to it. But it's still yes. a different look. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just that dark green, yeah. in other words. So you get different colors with foliage as well. Um, so let's see. I think we should go to a break. Well, I think you got about 25 seconds before you have to okay, go to gonna a break. Okay, we're going to count down 24, 23. <laughs> There's the music. 20. <laughs> Yay, you would think after music. a couple of years she would learn to listen I to think something music. might be wrong with the phone. Somebody... Because yeah. we just had a caller and they it knocked them off, so we need to try that again. All right, y'all, we'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. So glad y'all could join us this morning. Yeah. So we were talking about perennials and annuals, mm-hmm. and one of them that I like a lot is the Agastache. Started using that more and more, and it's drought tolerant, blooms all summer, different colors. Um, hummingbirds like it, actually. And don't so, forget about old cat mint. You know, it has the blue mm-hmm. bloom. Tough as everything. Yeah. Anytime you see a perennial that commercial landscapers are using, on a large scale, it's probably a reason for that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Then, you know, I had a hard time with cat mint. I tried it in two different ways, keeping it in a bucket for retail. It always, no matter what I did where I put it, it seemed to want to get the um, the white molted look on it. What? Oh, no. What? It was those leaf beetles. Mm. The, for some reason, the leaf beetles liked that. So, But I don't think a lot of people have a huge issue with that. No, tough is everything. Yeah, which just reminds me now that I needed to treat, or I'm going to have to treat the whole grounds right there to kill that leaf beetle because it's um, Coming hibernating, from the yeah, hibernating yeah. in the ground. And I don't guess this weather was hard enough no. to kill it, Probably to not. kill the larvae. Well, it's kind of so. like if you're planting squash, you know, like a lot of people mm-hmm. do every year. I mean, there's always a chance of uh, squash borers getting into your squash plant and killing your plant. And I tell people I wouldn't plant a squash plant unless I sprinkled a granulated insecticide around Mm -hmm. each one of them as I planted it. Uh, And, you know, a good one is uh, I think High Yield makes it. And Bonine makes one also. It's like a tomato and vegetable insect granule. And the active, I think, is bifenfrin. Mm-hmm. Very safe to use, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's one of those things where, in this case, it's not really a spray. It's, it's a granulated product that you sprinkle around these uh, squash. Because I'm telling you, if you don't, you got a really good chance yeah. of getting that cane bore in there later right. on. Well, I'm, I'm going to use the beneficial nematodes, spray them around the plant. You can and do that. you can even spray the plant with them to hopefully get the um the worm before it gets into it starts the getting into the stalk yeah and plus the beneficial nematodes seek out the, what their their prey is they seek it out actually they don't have to be directly put on it to make it happen so you can use beneficial nematodes and our soil has it the beneficial nematodes just not large amounts but we can make it increase by, by building, more. yeah, building the soil and adding more mm. beneficial nematodes. So I, I, 
uh, heard great results of people using those in their garden. And also, I think this would be the time to actually follow that method of you planted squash in this area. So next year, let's plant it over in the other So you want to rotate that crop. Yeah. Uh, because I'm telling you, cane borers are no fun. I mean, you get your squash. It's coming up. Uh-huh. It's looking beautiful. you got these beautiful big leaves starting to bloom. And you know, the next thing you're going to do is be pulling squash it's off that thing. so depressing. And then it just collapses on yeah. you because you get these little worms that mm-hmm. burrow into the trunk and just tear it up. I've heard of people actually taking um, like a razor blade and splitting Sure, and pulling that thing out. Yeah. And I still think, does that really work, though? Yeah, I've heard it works. It'll work. It'll heal over. But but using those Mm. granulated, uh, that granulated insecticide, that bifenferin, and the nematodes, like you Mm -hmm. said, Veda. uh, Yeah, you want to do what you can to try to protect, particularly when it comes to squash. And then that makes me think of the BT that we use for mosquito larvae and all that, that now is being used for the fungus gnats in houseplants. Mosquito bits. Yeah, mosquito bits. Now, when I talk to people that have the gnats and I tell them what you can use to help cure that, and then I tell them, but really you're overwatering. You definitely are. every person now is saying yeah yeah my soil stays pretty wet doesn't drain all that much and so if you've ever had house plants in the house and you see these little gnats flying around around your face and everywhere else it probably is a fungus Mm -hmm. gnat and they're coming from the soil of your house plants and like i said it's because it's been staying too wet so you want to cut back on that moisture and you want to definitely sprinkle these mosquito bits which is bt bacillus Mm -hmm. in there and it will take care of the problem but it's all because they're staying too wet oh well how about the one gnat okay so we have a building full of house plants but we don't have gnats but one one gnat that hangs out at the cash register why is she complaining about one because that one One. gnat that hangs out at the register buzzes your face all the time just the one gnat. Why does it have to go to the cash register and hang out with us there? Because it wants to bug you. And That's then the we're looking crazy because we're moving, taking our hands, you know, trying to swat it away, but they can't see the gnat. <laughs> the one gnat. It's like one of those no seams. And another thing coming up is the, of course, spring bulbs. Uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, dahlias and cannas and gladiolus and mm-hmm. those kind of bulbs, but also big time. Elephant ears and caladiums. And alocasias, yeah, too. Or yeah, or alocasia, elephant ear. Mm-hmm. And, but the reason I'm bringing this up is everybody wants to plant the caladiums in particular really before you should. Uh, and you, wanna, you, can, you can definitely go ahead and buy your caladium bulbs now because if you wait, they go so fast. Um, but if you want to plant your caladium bulbs you want to wait till these nighttime temperatures are really in the 60s or above a lot of people will think they can hey they're available right now i'm going to buy them now and i'm going to go ahead and plant them now you have to wait until these soil temperatures get warmer than they are if you're planting them outside mm-hmm. in the bed so hold off a little bit on planting the caladiums right. get them while they're good get them while they're getting good but don't plant them just yet Right. And, you know, there's things like gladiolas, trillium, oh, yeah. um, ranunculus. Ranunculus is kind of hard, but I hear people have some good yeah, results with we've it. We've had pictures here just this week. A lot of people have They're in bloom right now. Yeah. So, and beautiful. we're just now planting them. So 
well, how's that going to work? They'll still be in the soil, be hardy all through the season, and then bloom early. It's yeah. kind of like if you plant a daffodil right now. Yeah. You Assu- know. Assuming that it doesn't melt in the heat. That's the, yeah. that's the issue with anemones. You know, They're better planted in the fall than they are in the mm-hmm. spring, mm-hmm. but you can plant them either time. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times if, our soil, if your soil temperature is too hot, uh, it doesn't drain well, they'll melt on they're you. Out. So right. they're, they're best in, in elevated beds where the ground gets cold yeah. during the wintertime. Yeah, and, and most of these yeah. spring bulbs, and when I, when I say spring bulb, it's the bulbs that come in this time of yeah. year. You know, the, the fall bulbs, you plant them in the fall, they bloom in the spring. The spring bulbs, they come in, you plant them in the spring, they bloom mm-hmm. in the summer, typically speaking. But in a lot of these spring bulbs uh, are perennials. You know, think yeah. about cannas, for example. Right. You know, with cannas, you know, you'll be digging them up and giving them away before it's all said yeah, and like done. Yeah, like the trillium, the chrysosmia. Yeah. Did you get, y'all got that in, I'm sure. Well, we usually get that in as a plant. Yeah, we got it in a bulb, but then a plant too. Because, you know, they're kind of underplanted, but they're gorgeous when they bloom. Yeah, but um, uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is they're they're available out there. Uh, they're they're for sale right now. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, especially the caladiums, you do want to wait till these soil temperatures get a little warmer than they are just What do you yet. think on the dahlias? We should probably wait a little bit. still wait just a minute. Yeah. You know, let, let this cold weather get out of here. Let it get a little drier than it uh, than it is and has mm-hmm. been. Um, but, I mean, for the most part, starting next week, uh, you can start planting most of these spring bulbs. Yeah. You know, I've been real surprised. You know, when I first got in this business back in the 70s, you had to dig up dahlias every year. Mm-hmm. They would not go through the winter here. Mm-hmm. Now... You know, last winter it got down to zero or whatever. They came, all of mine came back. Yeah, isn't that you amazing? Know? Yeah. What so. What's your exposure? Uh, these are out in full sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, cool. um, but yeah, they're um, they. I was just real surprised. I didn't think any of them would come back. I know. I know. I would think so too. But then wondering how our change in the zone and all would well, people, work on that. People would used to plant dahlias as an annual. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people still do. Yeah. Uh, you know, because they just want to plant them every year, but they want that big bloom. They want that bloom from that dahlia. So they're willing to plant them every year. Well, like Jim's saying, you know, if you've got well-drained soil, more sun than shade, especially well-drained soil, a lot of times they'll come uh, back for you. Yeah. Yeah, we had them in some containers, and they did come back. Now, I really thought I was a successful dahlia grower until I went to Mendocino, California. <laughs> that doesn't count. I it. mean, they they have pastures full of dahlias that are my height, and I felt like I was in a Dr. Seuss movie looking at all those dahlias when in my mind i only knew of the, yeah, the ones, few that we put in the containers yeah, you that know. grow you know in the mid-south and the small little blooms but you know and it's an, still worth it even though it's not going to do what it does in california yeah. it's still worth it because like we plant new guinea impatience here maybe they can get 18 inches tall mm-hmm. but there's shrubs there's shrubs in mendocino yeah and, so. and and then of course the lilies you know there's a lot of lilies out there extremely hardy, you mm-hmm. know, comes comes back every year, typically mm-hmm. spreads for you, and some of them are really, really fragrant. Yeah. And it's kind of like a paper white narcissus. Either mm-hmm. you love it or you don't, right? right? I love the smell of, like, stargazer lilies. Uh, my wife hates the smell of starga- <laughs> stargazer <laughs> lilies. But even if you don't cut them to take them inside, they're still easy to grow. And like I said, it comes back remarkably well. Hmm? <laughs> okay, and... <laughs> 
Speaking of bulbs, oh, I've got the elephant ear mammoth bulbs. I mean, they're like the size of a newborn baby. Well, that's kind of tiny. And see, really, I'm one of those but they're a little where, bigger, you know. And I'm one of those where if I plant elephant ears like you're talking about, Veda, mm-hmm. I'm not going to dig them up at the end of the year. No. I'm leaving them things in the ground. If they come back the next year, fine. If they yeah. don't come back, I'll just plant some more. I'm not into digging all these bulbs up. And I tell you, if you're in there, again, well-drained soil, they typically come back perfectly fine. Minor in mud. Mine are in the wettest place in my yard, and they'll come back just fine. Well, Jim, wow. I had some planted, and mm-hmm. this is years ago, when even my house I, that I lived in before I live in now, and it came back for seven or eight years, talking about elephant ear bulbs. In mm-hmm. fact, they even multiplied, and you get more and more and more. But I had a really wet, cold winter, uh, and that year they did not come back. And I dug down, and, of course, they were rotted yeah. down there. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was saying well I expect drink. the mother bulb usually to rot, yeah. you know, but you normally get pups off of them that won't come mm-hmm. back. Uh, and this year, got my, you know, I've been leaving my bashews uncut, uh, yeah. just taken off the leaf, but it's killed them down to the ground again this year mm-hmm. like it did last year. So mm-hmm. we'll, uh, we'll just have to start from the sprouts again, <laughs> but there, there'll be a whole lot more of them this year. <laughs> because there, a lot of times that center, that main, bulb the, the will actual. rot away but all the little bublets around it mm-hmm. will come up you right know? so if you want a bigger plant this year coming from bulbs you need to get the bigger bulb yeah also oh wait you know i tell people that all the time buy the biggest bulb you can find mm-hmm. on anything yeah. if you're gonna spend the money on it get the best biggest flower the best biggest plant you can get out of it all right know? so so things to do and i know we got to go to break here in a minute but Think about spring bulbs, getting those in the ground. Think about roses, you know, and preparing the soil for roses. A lot of sun, well-drained soil. You can't just dig a hole and slap a rose down in there and expect great things, right? Think about prepping your garden area, Veda. Yeah. You know, adding your compost every year, getting your lime in there to keep the pH up. Uh, You know, and then, of course, people will start planting. You know, you can plant trees and shrubs this time of year. As long as the ground's not frozen or muddy. Mm Mm-hmm. You can plant a shrub. You don't have to wait. You know, when people think, okay, I can plant annuals after the 15th. You don't have to wait till after the yeah. 15th of April to plant trees and shrubs, you know? And yeah. so many people think that, that's, though. That's true. Yeah, I'm ready to start planting. I've been ready. I've planted a few things, though. But, yes, y'all can plant right now. You just cannot do your summer annuals or your tropicals. You can plant perennials that, ooh, y'all know what I have just seen is called the false ho- uh, false hosta. Hold on. False, false hosta. hosta. You just made gotten, that up. No. I should have gotten the botanical name. So, oh, so, so you see that, tell. Jim? She should have. I got to look it up now. But they're, they're little bulbs, look like bulbs coming out of the ground. And then um, it's I see some of the foliage coming up, and it almost looks like plumeria foliage. Like lungwort. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm interested in how that's going to turn out. It's different. So that's a different one to and look And you have for. those? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there is, and I know y'all might find it too, Kenneth, a new ficus, but it's called triangle leaf ficus. Oh, triangle foliage has been you around know forever. That one? Yeah. yeah. We so used to I, get them back in, like I said, back in the 70s. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, because when I was, but when. But just not I what you typically it, see. Yeah, I saw it on availability 
looked it up. It's like, wow, why are we not? Why it's, have we not had this? Foliage, yeah. yeah, so it's a really cool looking plant that I want to play with this year, too. So if somebody comes in and wants to buy it, of course I'm going to sell it. But if not, I want to yeah, play. listen to her. She wants to, to well, take a look at it. It looks like there's not a lot available this year. So, you know, there's some fun, different texture things. You can use your ficus outside in a shaded condition. Don't put it out today. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're reading my mind. Right. But it's, it's a good shade plant to use outside on a patio. Any of your house plants you can plant in a container on your patio mm-hmm. and then bring them in when it gets cold. Yeah. And, and then that fiddle leaf fig, which is a ficus also, it seems like, you know, I've said this before, it seems like every magazine you open the page and there's a picture of a fiddle leaf fig. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, the, the house plant tree of the century. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants a fiddle leaf fig. Um, okay, we're going to run to a break and we'll hit you when we're back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad I can be here with y'all. You had a question, a texter? <laughs> yeah, Mary texted him. I'm just trying to get uh, Mary. She said, I have a couple of roses that are cane roses. I cut them way back. Mistake. And now they're just twigs coming out of the ground. These are at least 40 years old. Should I let them um, be or dig them up and try to take some of the old stalk that is not producing off and replant them? They're in full sun. Well, Jim? Uh, well, you know, the question is here, if, if many, many years ago, almost all of the roses were grafted. Okay. Meaning the, the rose that we see was grafted onto right. a root. Right. And they were grafted onto a multiflora rootstock because it is extremely prolific. Okay. The rootstock was better than the original rose right. stock. Okay. So that's what they grafted everything, whether it was a climber, bush rose, whatever. Yeah. They, would, they, would hook to, they would graft to that. If if what's coming out of the ground is below that graft, it's not going to be a decent rose. It'll be a it'll look like a cluster of small flowers, kind of like mm-hmm. a panicle hydrangea. Mm. Um, so if you have some of the original rose left over, then yes, I would say probably try to root some of that and replant it. Um, and and cut if you cut it back don't cut it all the way back so you you're know. saying growth above the graft is the it, rose itself it, right growth from below that graft it is probably is the not. root stock right. i got you and and a lot of times we see that and it's going to be much more aggressive you know it will actually sap the strength out of the plant and your original rose will die off uh because it just uh, it's just the way it is so mm. you know, I would uh, I would say try to try to salvage some of the other rows and uh, root it on its own. It yeah. probably won't be as aggressive as the the original ones were, but at least you'll have some of the original rootstock. But the term the you know one arm bandits, you know, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people say uh, Rosarians definitely use that term. If you've got a rose that's been there forever, in this case, mm-hmm. Mary's has been there for over forty years. And you get that one little cane that comes up, that one stalk, that one arm bandit. Oh no, that ah, thing's got to go. I'm like, I can't wait to hear no, how this that one arm bandit has got to go. Works know? into this road ser- rose scenario, but yeah, that's really interesting. That a lot of people don't know this is how with certain plants, roses, fruit trees too. Oh, yeah. a lot of times they're grafted. Put, yeah, they're gonna get the root stock from a hardy plant that's got great root Roots. system on it then they're going to take the ornamental pretty one 
that doesn't have such a great rootstock and graft them together. Yeah, Same thing they do with roses. Yeah, you know, and with fruit trees, uh, as you mentioned, you know, when you buy a, say, a wine sap apple, whether it's a standard a, a dwarf, a dwarf or yeah. semi-dwarf or dwarf, it's all the same tree. It's all in the rootstock that they grafted to did that controls know. the height of the plant. So, um, I did not know that. Yep, it's all in the rootstock. So, so the so the t- above the graft is exactly, exactly the same. same. It's the rootstock that's different. Yeah. yeah. So what Makes about um, how they graft? Like they they want to make a standard plant where it's got a trunk mm-hmm. and then it has the top to it. Well, the, yeah, that go ahead. Often is different plant. Like you'll mm-hmm. see a lot in the spring the grafted uh, gardenias or grafted uh, hydrangeas or grafted yeah. roses. Right. right. But the gardenia they use a tropical gardenia for that to get that big trunk that grows very rapidly, mm-hmm. and they'll use that as the rootstock and graft, and then graft your regular gardenia, usually Amy, which is about the least hardy of them exactly. all. Exactly. But the the graft itself, the the stalk is not hardy, so it's yeah. not going to survive outside. For but you, think about regardless the tree roses that you see, or used yeah. to see. You, see yeah. you know, you don't see as many as you used yeah, to. You know, they've they got a rose. You know mm-hmm. the the flowering part grafted on top of this. And that's tall a multi. That's a multiflor stem that yeah. they've grafted on it because it grows so rapidly uh, and, and quickly that they can produce those stalks. And then they sometimes will graft it onto a different rootstock exactly. and then graft the top onto it. Exactly. Right. So you've well, got see, three different plants in there. Like in the colder areas, you would. Like cut the roots on one side of the rose, lay it down, yes. and then mulch over on it. On the tree yeah. rose. On the tree, tree rose, rose right. which we think we shouldn't do that here, but we could do it and have better results. So, y'all, it's time to go. Sorry we have to leave, but catch us on our podcast. Yeah, it'll be in the 70s next week, so we'll talk about that. <laughs>